following program contains language and subject matter that you may consider unsuitable for children. Parental discretion is advised. Greetings, Earthlings. This is Captain Smell So Good of the Starship Smelly Prize with my international co-host, Sayonai. And when we're not soaring through the cosmos looking for alien chicks, we're hanging out in the nuttiest head on and off the internet. That is the jackal head. Yeah. Are we ready to blast off? You are about to enter a new dimension in sound. What the heck happened last night? Hang on to your hats because you're about to go on a heck of a ride through time, space, and the multiverse. How do I reach these kids? Atlanta, Georgia, Greensboro, North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina, Chicago, Tampa, Florida, Miami, Dallas, Texas. I don't care where the city is. How do I reach these gigs? And with all the high-tech gizmos these days? The biggest trick the Jackal ever pulled was to convince the world that he doesn't exist. I reach these gigs. The Jackal. everybody welcome to inside the jackal's head on psn radio and so radio coming to you live this beautiful sunday evening 10 p.m eastern you're listening to shoutcast radio this is not extraterrestrial radio like art bell but it's pretty damn close it's not am radio and it's not fm radio but it's internet shoutcast radio where we talk about whatever the hell we want We put whatever kind of music we like, and we're not censored by Big Brother. Nothing beats a little Beastie Boys to get you going. Ah, I love the Beastie Boys. Posse in effect. Yeah. Well, everybody, welcome to another exciting episode of Inside the Jackal's Head. This is going to be a good one. And I know I always say that, and then sometimes I deliver, sometimes I don't. But today, I actually think I'm going to 
have you guys entertained for a couple hours. And that's thanks to the guest I'm going to have on later on tonight, who is probably going to share so many stories with you that are probably put you to sleep. No, I mean, it'll drive you bananas. No, Oscar Benjamin, the compassionate wolf himself, is going to be on the show with us. And I'm so excited to have him on. He's, of course, one of the hosts here on PSN Radio. He does uh, the Compassionate Wolf Hour or the Hour with the Compassionate Wolf or Compassionate Wolf Radio or Oscar Benjamin Show, whatever you want to call his show. It's an awesome show. He plays all kinds of music and stuff, but he never really has any guests on. And I always thought it would be cool to have him as, as a person to interview because we really don't hear much about who he is really in his daily activities. So today you're actually going to get kind of an inside view into the wolf himself, Oscar Benjamin. And I've been looking forward to having him on the show. He's a good friend. We've had him on uh, the Roundtable show a couple times, and or at least once. Uh, and again, he's a really good guy. He's a good friend. And I love having him on this network, and I love uh, that he's going to be on here tonight. Uh, there is a couple of things in the news line that's uh, been out this uh, couple of weeks that I want to get to, a couple of items uh, that's popped up here um, I don't know if you guys uh, you know, keep up with scientific news or not. Uh, this is something that was brought to my attention by another good friend, Mr. Zod Ryder, who I know is listening in, so shout-out to Zod Ryder and the Zod Ryder Show. Check his show out every Tuesdays uh, here on PSN Radio. Uh, the scientist uh, says here that quantum physics can prove there's an afterlife. Now, it says here, Professor Robert Lanza is sure that there's something beyond this mortal coil. He believes that science is there to prove it. Now, it's an interesting article. I'm going to read some of this article. Uh, it's interesting. We got into like a little bit back and forth of me and Zod Ryder. And if he wants to call in and kind of uh, go over it uh, with me, that'd be fine. Uh, we have about 25 minutes before the wolf gets on the air. Uh, but it says here, if there's a choice between an afterlife and nothing at all, I guess I plump for the former. It gives us a peculiar kind of hope that there is more and in america we know that more is always better discussion surrounding the afterlife tends to focus on belief one scientist however is suggesting there might be a firm evidence of a great beyond professor robert lanza who is a professor at the institute of regenerative medicine at wake forest university is a proponent of bio i'm gonna butcher this biocentricism I probably butchered it. This turns our ideas of uh, the universe on its head, he says. Instead of imagining that our universe is uh, is the, what creates life, the idea is that the universe is a product of our own conscience of it. The Independent uh, has thrust uh, my consciousness towards Lenza's website, says here, which attempts to uh, reprogram the way we see, well, everything. It says uh, here, for example, take death, for example. This cannot exist in any real sense, he says. This is a, a relief, as it does seem frighteningly real when you watch it happen. You know the this is your, and uh, you know that this is about uh, to to get complicated, don't, don't you? Uh, Lanza, uh, Lanza offers as a little joke. He says, uh, "Life is an adventure that transcends our ordinary linear way of thinking. When we die, we do so not in in a random billiard ball matrix, but in 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 a." inescapable life matrix. Death is merely what we think we see. In fact, everything is, in Lance's view, by treating space and time as physical things, uh, science uh, picks a completely wrong starting point for understanding the world, he says. 
He says his starting point is biology. He does uh, so by tossing in a little quantum mechanics to sway the realist doubters. He points to a double-slit experiment. This uh, helps shows that particles aren't just a single element they are perceived to be. Instead, they can act as two separate entities at the same time. In essence, when we like to joke that someone might be living in a parallel universe, this might in fact be ultimately true um, of, all of, of all of us. He says, I prefer to think of unlikely, unlike many scientists, that we know uh, precious little about our world, for all we know. That occasional sense of deja vu we get is somehow connected to Lanza's idea of reality of perceptions. Now it says here, at least we try, at least he tries to get us thinking about our own existence in a different way. The problem is that there's never seems to be any lines of communication between one parallel universe and another. I know that Ouija uh, ladies and psychics claim to hear voices from some far beyond, says the article. What we lack thus is far sense of uh, those voices might be real. In other words, there's no evidence that any of that is true. Now, if Professor Lanza can just uh, find a way to make contact, perhaps we'll have a bigger, nicer people here on Earth, firm in the knowledge that there is uh, no hurry to die. Now, the great thing about the article is that you know it's getting people to think about what possibly else could be out there. Uh, the only problem with uh, the whole thing is I don't see how parallel universes is going to connect to an afterlife after you die, for example. Now, me and Zod Rider were actually kind of uh, talking about this earlier, and uh, this is why I said if you want to call in, go for it. Uh, it doesn't really sway me into believing that it explains afterlife. Uh, parallel universes, as we are taught to understand them uh, from uh, Professor Michio Kaku and, of course, from... Um, you know, TV shows like Fringe and even Einstein's theory of relativity. And, um, you know, as science in general has always taught us what a parallel universe is, it's a mirror of our planet. So basically, whatever we are right now, uh, there could be an infinite amount of us engulfed in the same uh, cosmic soup, so to speak. So, in other words, there could be a, a billion, trillion, of, uh, infinite number of clones or mirror Earth, where our slight choice difference might be a big difference in the overall scheme of things. For example, let's just say that on one parallel Earth, Hitler won the war. Just, you know, that one act would change the entire aspect of humanity. Just that one moment in time, if Hitler wins that war, it changes everything, right? It changes the entire complex of society as we know it. But it's a very slight change in history. What if in another timeline, JFK is never killed? We, n we never have that as a part of our history, the Kennedy assassination. What if in another timeline, man never walks on the moon? We're still stuck on Earth, and we just haven't been able to conquer space travel. You know, there's a lot of questions, a lot of what-ifs when it comes to parallel universes, and that's what I loved about the show Sliders, and I recommend everybody go check out at least the first two or three seasons. I know it gets a little bit uh, wishy-washy or wibbly-wobbly, as us uh, fans of uh, Doctor Who like to say, uh, but, you know, it is a great show, and it does have a lot of great points within this realm that we're talking about here, and just as I am speaking about this, I am joined by Zod Ryder, my good friend, and of course host here of 
the Zod Rider show and about uh, 50 other shows, including a couple cook shows. I know there's talk about perhaps a uh, Dancing with Zod Rider. That would be interesting. Hey, Zod. Hello. Welcome to Inside My Cabeza, my friend. And, you know, it's an important topic because this does get people to start thinking about you know, what could be out there other than the norm. Uh, but again, it doesn't really go into like what, you know, I think he's trying to get to, which is what happens to us when we die. You know what I mean? I right. think that was I mean, the original it thing. A, it could be like the start of it, like some sort of, like maybe if we could figure this out, this whole parallel universe thing, it could lead to, you know, what happens ultimately upon death. But I was thinking about it in a different way. Like what if all these little things that happen because the point you were making about all the different, you know, parallel universes and things like that. What if everything is parallel to the point where every decision you make causes you to end up in a different continuity, right? It's a different course of action that you chose. You're not going to be in the same place tomorrow that you were today as Correct. a result of the decisions you've made. You decided to turn left instead of right. I believe right. that literally that's what it must come down to. Like, because have you ever had that sense of deja vu where you feel like you've seen something before or you remember something a very, very specific way? And it turns out that it's not that way. I mean, could that have something to do with it? Maybe in the continuity you were in prior to something that you did, that's the way something was, but it's not that way in this particular continuity. I don't think that it's perfect. I think that there's going to be glitches and there's going to be errors because if the brain is nothing but a big computer, think about all the problems we have with computers as a society. Well, actually, you know what? I, I'm starting to rethink what the brain is myself, and I'm not a scientist, so I don't uh, fully know you know everything about the brain. I haven't mapped out the human brain or the human genome or right, anything like that. Right. <laughs> but my theory of what our brain really is is nothing more than uh, data storage. It's a data storage unit. Um, the cerebral cortex, I think, is what really controls the brain. That's like your motherboard, so to speak. Um, and everything is in the whole data storage unit part of the brain is where everything goes. I mean, that's where you have your thoughts, your memories. Obviously, you store all the information in there. So it's more like a hard drive than anything else. Uh, and, and actually, there's some proof to this in nature. There are animals in nature that are born without a brain. Because they don't need to store any information. They're just, you know, dumb animals. Well, unfortunately, that's the case with, you know, certain types of people, too. So Yes, there's a couple individuals that we both know that fit this description. <laughs> I mean, I can't help but laugh because it just popped into my head instantly. Like, oh, there you go. Good example. You know, actually, there was a baby born without a brain. I don't know if you saw this. And the baby stayed alive uh survived infancy uh which the doctors didn't think that it would survive uh more than maybe a couple hours you know and uh survived uh, to be uh, you know fully grown i think it was like two or three year old uh before it passed uh, it might actually be, might still be alive i'm not sure if it actually did pass but uh you could google that there's actually a baby born without a brain it's been it's happened a couple of times uh, where they have you know the structure of cerebral cortex i mean they have the whole back part of the, the spinal cord everything but the actual brain matter doesn't develop so they can't restore. They can't store any information. They don't have, you know, any of the the cognitive uh, way of being that we have. You know, basically they're vegetables. Well, maybe they'll get to a point where they can actually create 
a brain for these children that are born without brains. The scary thing is that might lead them to do some uh, crazy YouTube videos. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we don't want any of that. That's very, that would be very <laughs> unfortunate for all of us, but that's, you know. But anyway, it's a, it, look, it's a great article. Um, if you guys have never uh, checked out the work of Michio Kaku, I definitely suggest you go and check his work out. Uh, if you want to you know, know more about parallel universes and parallel Earths, uh, and stuff like that. Uh, again, it's cool that you know there's uh, somebody working on this kind of thing, and it's getting some kind of a publicity, you know, uh, in media publicity at that at anywhere on any website, uh, especially you know a main website like CNET. Uh, so I mean, that's cool that they're actually reporting stuff like that because you know it is important science uh, to do. Uh, but again, it's it doesn't still answer that whole afterlife because afterlife means you die, and then there's something after you die. Parallel universes could be completely different. They could be at the same exact timeline that you're living, like you said. But, but yeah, it's, it's like, all choices. It's like what you and I were talking about, though, too, like that whole theory of maybe when you die, depending upon how you die, and, and again, all being about the circumstances, maybe you just go from one continuity to the next without even realizing it. Because I know I've had a few instances in my life where, I should have died or could have died or, you know, so it's, it's one of those situations where you never know. Maybe that is what is, you know, an interpretation of, say, everlasting life. If you just continue to go from continuity to continuity till you've achieved whatever it is your life is supposed to mean in the end. So I don't know. It really well, does you, get you thinking, you know. It, it really does, yeah. It really, it, it, that's, you know, if anything else, it, it makes you think about something scientific, which is cool, you know. Again, I, I'm all about promoting science and uh, and open-minded, uh, you know, f- way of thinking. So, good article, man. I appreciate you, you sending me that article and pointing out pointing that out to me, so. Thank yeah, you yeah, yeah. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully it it gets you know the notoriety that it deserves and it and it causes people and scientists to look further into it because it really is an amazing thing to think about you know now there's a guy out there uh who uh has had a pretty good life so far but he has uh, definitely come under fire over the last few years and everybody thinks he's kind of a dick and you know to kind of segue into another topic that I, or another article I wanted to get to, stick around before we go on break and, and get Oscar if you, if you don't mind. Stick around; you might want to comment on this one. Uh, everybody's favorite dickhead, Kanye West, huh? Who doesn't like Kanye West? You like Kanye West? Anybody? No. Well, Kanye was a Kanye's a friend I of hear mine. Crickets. I, I've known Kanye a, a while, so yeah. Well, okay. Yeah, well, sincerely, Kanye West certainly has his fans, uh, you, uh, but there's also a large section of the population well, that think really the guy is kind fan. of a jerk. You know, well, I, I, I knew I knew him before he was the Kanye West that everybody, you know, thinks of when, today. When he was a humble guy, when he was right. a nice guy. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, a, a large section of the population thinks the guy is kind of a jerk, you know, and uh, you could add Ronnie Spector to that list this year. However, the former uh, Ronette's front woman doesn't have anything negative to say about the rapper's wife-to-be Kim Kardashian, or I guess his wife now. Uh, for the moment, she has seemed uh, to have an issue with Wes saying that he speaks uh, the way he speaks. Spectre uh, said uh, recently that uh, he speaks like an asshole. And she says, I'm not a fan of Kanye West. I don't, uh, don't mind Kim, but I just don't like that guy. I'm not a fan of how he speaks. He's a dick. I'm sorry. I don't like him. 
I'm just being honest. Spectre explained to the publication and said, although the singer does enjoy some of his music, she apparently does not have a problem with Eminem or the way he speaks, but she just hates Kanye West. And, you know, you knew Kanye West. Has his attitude changed? And you've seen him publicly now in, in the last few years as he's become a superstar. Um, when you see him in interviews, is that like the same dude you knew? I will say this. The dude I knew was really, really cool. I mean, he was... I mean, he was a fun guy, and you know what I noticed about him? One of the biggest things I noticed about him was he was a caring, a very, very caring person. And he was always interested in helping people. I mean, he was actually, I I, I have to say this because it's like, you know, he gets a lot of flack now. And I think it's one of the reasons that is, is because he's become, like, too famous. I mean, maybe, maybe that's what it is. Maybe when you reach a certain point in your life... And you've achieved this fame, it goes to your head and you be in it changes you on the surface of who you are. But I think deep down, he's still that person that he was. It's just that he's got so many things going on now and so much has happened and so much has changed for him that I mean that could be why. I mean, I, I don't really know because every from what I remember, he was a really cool dude, you know. It's hard to put it all into perspective now and it's funny because it's not like he's gotten into a lot of trouble with the law or anything like that he's oh, just no, done like no. he's just like done stupid stuff like it's the whole like Taylor Swift like, thing like bone like boneheaded stuff you know right. like it's not like he, he's deliberately going out there and like he's trying to ruin people's lives and things like that I mean that's that's the thing like, like he's a little bit I think overzealous when it comes to opening his mouth sometimes which is what I you know <laughs> which is what I can say, but I, I mean, when, when I remember him, before he got really big and famous, he was concentrating on his music, hoping that maybe it would lead to something, but he wasn't taking it like it was the end-all, be-all of his life. You know, he was taking it one step at a time, and it was, I mean, it was really cool. He was a dude you could really respect. So because I don't talk to him personally or know him now, you know, since he's become really big and famous, it's hard to you know, determine if anything's really changed or maybe if this is just a face he puts on when he does what he does, you know, it's really hard to tell. You know, what's really cool, um, you know, moving on from this uh, Kanye West, this other uh, news uh, that I saw this week, uh, you you heard about Bad Kid, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, This has been all over the news. I don't know if people are listening that haven't, haven't heard about this. Uh, but the Make-A-Wish Foundation transformed San Francisco into Gotham City on Friday. Uh, many were moved uh, by the elaborate performance uh, to make a five-year-old cancer survivor feel like a superhero for a day. Miles Scott uh, actually was diagnosed with leukemia when he was just about two years old. Uh, but his cancer recently went into remission after three years of uh, chemotherapy. For the uh, Make-A-Wish Foundation wish, he wanted to be Batman for one day. And uh, this was, I saw the video of it, man. And this was like some of the most touching and like beautiful thing I've ever seen. It's a beautiful story, yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. And uh, to see all the people that have come out and, you know, the president has commented about this. And uh, even Batmans themselves, like Michael Keaton, Christian Bale, all commented on it. Uh, it's, it's really a touching story. And to, to see everybody come together for one kid like that. An amazing story, but you know what's uh what's next? You know that's one kid. Are they gonna like, do this for every kid who has a Make a Wish on one of these uh, Make a Wish foundations? 
I don't know, because it's like when you see little stories like that, it just kind of gives you hope for humanity. I mean, maybe maybe they can't do it for everybody, but they try to, you know, I mean, it's it'd be nice if they could, though. Imagine if some kid was like, I want to be on the moon. It's my wish. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, he survived cancer. We have to do it. Uh, we'll to the moon! <laughs> to the moon with you! <laughs> to the moon with this child! It's possible. <laughs> it is possible. Guys, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to have the wolf himself... Mr. Oscar Benjamin. And we're going to peek into the mind of the compassionate wolf. Scary thought, really. We'll be right back. Crip niggas, blood niggas, essays, Asians, Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, white boys, Jamaicans, Latin kings, disciples, vice lords, Haitians. All these motherfuckers been patiently waiting Since the West Coast fell off The streets been watching The West Coast never fell off I was sleeping Compton Aftermath been here The beats been knocking Nate Dog doing his thing DPG still popping I got California love Fucking bitches to that pop shit And West Side Connection Been had it locked, bitch I'm in the rear view My guns is cocking I put red dots on a nigga head like Rockman All stars, fat laces, gun charge Court cases, fought that Not guilty, I'm back Nigga Hate me, been there, done that, so crack, got jacked, got shot, came back, jumped on Dre's back, payback, homie, I'm bringing CA back, and I don't do button-up shirts and drive made back. Here's a riddle for you. What do the California gold rush of the 1850s, secret societies, coded messages, mysterious 19th century flying machines, and an early 20th century outside artist named Charles A.A. A. Delshaw all have in common? The Secrets of Del Shaw by Dennis Crenshaw and Pete Navarro. Go to www.secretsofdelshaw.com to learn more. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com Are you tired of not being able to listen to your favorite talk radio shows on the go? Well, that is no longer a problem. Now with TalkStream Live, which has been a very successful app on the iPhone now for years. Big announcement. TalkStream Live is now available on the Android. That's right, the Android market. So go to your app store on the Android and search TalkStream Live and take the shows you love the best on the go. Also check out the website, TalkStreamLive.com. Trust me, you'll love this app if you love radio. Hello, I'm Doug Jones, coming to you from Vancouver, where I'm currently filming my hit buddy cop TV series, Falling Skies. I'm sorry about the bad internet connection, but... Canada. Many of you, well, some of you, 12 of you, may know me from starring in the minor miracle of a web series, Research. And as always, 
We need your help. Research is up for the Viewer's Choice Award at ATL WebFest. The cool part about this award is that it's decided by you, the viewing public. I need you to go vote for research so I can win an award. I, I really need my awards. How can you help? First, just click the link in the description below, like ATL WebFest's Facebook page. It's going to ask you for permission to access your Facebook info. Nothing to worry about here. It's just standard Facebook procedure. Now, once that's done, all you have to do is click Vote at the bottom of Research's page. And you're done. You can vote every 24 hours, so please do. To review, click the link below, like ATL WebFest, click OK, Vote for Research. Next, you'll need to print and sign a form waiving any liability in case you get hurt while voting. But there's almost no chance of that happening. And that's pretty much it. All you have to do from there is just type in your home address, simple enough, and be there sometime between the hours of 8 and 12 over the next two weeks. A van's going to come by and take a quick DNA sample. Okay, we got all that? So, like ATL WebFest, click Yes, vote for Research, sign liability form, fill out address, be home 8 to noon over the next two weeks, give Paco your DNA. Finally, you'll be receiving a tiny wooden coffin in the mail. Inside, you'll find a raven's quill. Take that raven's quill and draw an angry goat on the parchment provided. This just signifies that you're willing to give up your firstborn child. A tiny little signature in blood, a few invasive surgical procedures, and you're done. Isn't that simple? So please vote for us. It'd really mean a lot. What's that? Why should you vote for us? Well... I've entered into a little bargain with some sort of a minor spirit stating that it gets to feast on my flesh if we lose. But if we win, we get the respect of our peers and a shiny award. It's not really that good of a deal, but our spirit lawyers aren't that good. Please help us, won't you? Click the link below. Like ATL WebFest. Click Yes. Vote for Research. All that other stuff. Keep me from being eaten alive by an evil spirit. That's all I ask. Thank you. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. Are we ready to blast off? Ignition. Full trust. Uh, uh, Recent uh. polls have shown a fifth of Americans can't locate the U.S. on a world map. Why do you think this is? I personally believe that U.S. Americans are unable to do so because uh, some people out there in our nation don't have maps 
and uh, I believe that our ed- education, like such as in South Africa and uh, the Iraq, everywhere, like such as, and I believe that they should, uh, our education over here in the U.S. should help the U.S., or should help South Africa, and should help the Iraq and the Asian countries, so we will be able to build up our future. Cause I'm a million dollar man like Ted DiBiase Fans see me, watch me, baby Liberace The wrist stay rocky, the rims stay flossy Will's glossy, we're lacking that straight beside me Call me Frosty, Frosty the snowman The Oakland dope man, the Oakland the d d man Frosty, Frosty the snowman The Oakland dope man, the Oakland d d man Bullets drop so I aim higher Spit for my game tighter Super sport range driver Fly in a hang glider Yup, the Ayatollah regime gang sire Spit nothing but straight fire Cake supplier, Northern Cali, I'm a straight timer for chickens, the cake fryer You ain't tighter than yuck, you straight liar, I've been killing since the A's visor Yeah, the Bay Rider, rep the 415-510-707-925-650 go Rep the West Coast, nigga, everywhere I go Got those cheddar and chips, call it nachos Hot flows, keeping it lit while niggas got cold Not toes, flipping new whips, the wrist got froze Stay out of Patron and Goose in my niggas pop mode Hot pills with a pocket full of dough, nigga, whoa Cause I'm a million dollar man like Ted DiBiase Fancy, watch me, baby Liberace The wrist stay rocky, the ribs stay flossy Will's glossy, we're lacking ass straight beside me Call me Frosty, Frosty the snowman The Oakland dope man, the Oakland the d dope man Frosty, Frosty the snowman all right, everybody, we are back on Inside the Jackal's Head here live on PSN Radio. SoFlo Radio, of course, all across TalkStream, live and Shoutcast Radio. I want to welcome my guest of the evening, Mr. Oscar Benjamin, the compassionate wolf himself. And if you guys want to talk to him tonight, you can do it two ways. If you want to call in, you can call in through our Skype, which is PSN Radio, right on Skype. Also, you can call in. On 786-245-8127, which is our call-in number. Oscar, thank you so much for being my guest tonight. And finally, the wolf is inside the jackal's head. (laughs) Yes, it's a vast cavernous head indeed, so I'm enjoying exploring here. (laughs) I'm sorry about the smell. That's all I can tell you. (laughs) That's all right. I smell a lot worse. (laughs) (laughs) Now... uh, Anybody listening in, obviously, uh, right now live uh, knows you, uh, you know, from your show here on PSN Radio. But, man, you, you live, like, one of the coolest lives I've ever, like, you know, seen. Tell us a little bit about, you know, who Oscar Benjamin is. A little bit about what you do because you're a photographer. You're, you know, you're, you know, you're always hobnobbing with celebrities and stuff. Uh, you know, give us a little bit of insight on who you are for the audience who, you know, listens to your music but might want to know a little bit more about the man. Well, that's a complicated question. I'll try to start at the beginning when you were a baby. (laughs) Tell us about when you first got out of the womb. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for those who don't know, I was originally from the East Coast, actually from um, New York City, the Bronx specifically, and um, I am of Dominican descent. That is Dominican Republic. For all those who are wondering what the hell a, a Dominican is. (laughs) 
Hell, hell that if is, you don't know what a Dominican is, then you definitely don't watch Major League Baseball because you guys are all over the place. Let me tell you. <laughs> so many Dominican players not each. What's in the water down there, dude? Like They're like just breeding like incredible ball players in the Dominican Republic. <laughs> it's, a very, it's a national pastime, so it's no very, kidding. Uh, the, pride, the pride of the country, actually, in baseball. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. Def- Definitely. Unfortunately, I'm not a baseball player, so sorry to disappoint. Well, you know, I don't <laughs> can't can't play baseball. I mean, I when I whenever I played baseball, I was always happy to be in the outfield so I could watch the game because hardly any balls were <laughs> tossed in that area, so I could just enjoy the game from uh, from right field or wherever I was at. <laughs> so baseball so, wasn't your thing. So what got your attention growing up in the Dominican Republic, and how did you get to the U.S.? Well, well, actually, I was I was born in the United States, though. Oh, okay. Yeah, my 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 parents, you know, were actually from the Dominican Republic, and my um, basically they came they came to the United States in the 1960s, and um, my dad was he was a veteran of the Korean Wars that that facilitated the process of um, immigrating the country a little bit easier there, so we. I was like I said, I was born in uh, New York, and I have one brother and one sister, both older than me. And um, I was in New York. For, I would say the first uh, six to seven years of my life, and I do have uh, memories of New York City, specifically in the 1965 World's Fair, which <laughs> nice. <laughs> which I this is a this is an image that probably I think is the reason why I got into what I got into. I remember specifically, this must be, I was in a, either a crib or something or being wheeled along by my mom, but I remember um, seeing a dinosaur above me, and that's an indelible image that will never leave my mind. So that's, I think that's what got me into the whole film and science fiction, horror and fantasy interest that I have, and just trying to... Um, possibly recapture that image or that that thrill I had, which I always constantly have now, so I'm glad to say that I have recaptured it and superseded it now. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, so, I, I've seen a lot of your photos on Facebook, obviously, you post a lot of your your photographs, uh, yes. and a lot of stuff with celebrities. Uh, you know, how did you get into, you know, th- this line of work, though? I mean... This was, um, this was I, I could probably lead, give you a short version of this. Basically, I've always been a big you know, film freak, and the very first movie I believe I, I remember seeing was um, Planet of the Apes. I actually seen that in nice. theaters. Yeah, wow, was, really? I've I seen that with um, my brother and sister and my parents, and this is a real goofy thing, and it's a real funny story, but I'll never forget. I didn't, I didn't understand it because I was so young, of course. So I didn't understand the ending of the film. We all know how the film ended. It won't be any spoilers if I say, you know, basically the planet of the apes is the planet Earth, of course. Right. <laughs> I, I just ruined it for many out there. Spoilers! <laughs> exactly. So when Charlton Heston, the Charlton Heston, the Taylor character, comes across and starts screaming at the, you know, the, the Statue of Liberty is saying you blew it up and everything else and, you know, what the hell happened, I basically turned to my sister and I said, hey, why did the apes drag the Statue of Liberty to the planet, so obviously I didn't understand. <laughs> and, well, you were young. You know, it's understandable. Yeah, exactly. So it was, a, it was a fun thing, and it was something that got me really interested in, you know, someday, hey, I've got to get into this line of work someday. I've got to somehow do it. So then I, at the time, let's see, let's flash back to um, the late 80s, early 90s. I was 
working as a what are the what are here let's 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 preface the story here um one of the things i believe a person should do is they should be a, they should be a well-rounded individual and the type of business i am in i have to have some kind of foundation that i could fall back just in case everything falls out from under me so one of th- one of the things i did was analyze the job market at time and said okay what kind of work does a person need to have that's always co- that will be always consistently in demand so I at the time I worked for a comic book distribution firm, right? And uh, it was called Capital City. For those who know anything about comic books, there's two major distributors at the time called Capital City and Diamond. Diamond is of course still around. There's a little bit. There's a little episode that those of us in the business at the time like to call the, the, the distributor wars, right? Because Capital City and Diamond went to war with each other and. Capital City lost, and you know, thus went all our jobs and everything else. <laughs> Sadly enough, but I was a I was a driver for Capital City. I was a truck driver, so I learned how to drive a truck. So believe it or not, I'm you know I'm certified truck driver also. So that's that's oh, wow. the fallback. Yeah, that's the fallback job. That's the fallback job that you could always basically get to, a right. you know get a position. Yeah, get a position in because there's always a need for drivers. So that's, you know, I keep my, you know, my license up to date and, you know, all my, all my hazmat, you know, sort of certificates in line and everything else. So that's, I can see that's you as a, driver, as a truck driver. I can see you. Well, on a, thanks. On a big <laughs> Not many people can. <laughs> <laughs> With your trucker hat on and your plaid shirt. I can see it, man. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm visualizing it right now as we speak. Thanks. I should probably put some pictures up one day. <laughs> I used to have this. <laughs> I used to have this. I used to have this beautiful truck that had Batman on the side. It was a huge nice. Batman um, drawing on the side, and Batman was hanging on the side of the truck while I was driving by. And I was that was the pride and joy of the time. I loved that truck, and it was so sad when the company went out of business because they literally the last day that we were in business, they towed that truck away, and if, and wow. I was near. I was nearly in tears. Actually, it was so. So very sad. I thought, oh my god, this is it. I got to, you know, I got to make some kind of move or something. What's going to happen now? So luckily, um, there was this there was this comic shop owner called Joe Field, and he's the owner of Flying Colors Comics and Comics and All Cool Things, as he calls his store, right? And Joe was um, the uh, partial owner or half half of the owner of Wonder the WonderCon franchise in the nineties, and he okay. knew I was in. He knew I was interested in photography, and I was, you know, I was a budding photographer. So he gave me an opportunity to actually shoot shoot a WonderCon, right? And WonderCon at the time started getting a little bit of the celebrity presence we all know, you know, Comic Con as now. So then I got my, you know, I got my experience shooting celebrities and meeting celebrities during these conventions, right? WonderCon, it was a big success. It was a big hit, and I really hit well with Joe, and I became the official WonderCon photographer throughout the '90s. And I was able to build upon that, build the connections, build, um, you know, get people more interested in my photography. And that led to, you know, the, of course, film work and everything else. And, you know, it's all about the importance that I tell people constantly is you never know when your next job is going to be, you know, be handed to you or, you know, you're even going to be considered. So always put your best face forward, you know, whenever you're actually working on a job, work like you're working for another job also, like you're trying to right. get another position. So. So and people 
people don't realize the importance of presentation, and that's one of the reasons why I, you know, I dress the way I do whenever I shoot at the red carpet because at that moment, say, uh, Ian Summerholder may compliment you, hey, you know, it's a great outfit you have on, and that may lead to a position on the Vampire Diaries or whatever, you know. So right. that's, that's the type of things we all have to consider, and it's not as far-fetched as you may think, you know, because I got a, you know, I got another onset studio photography jobs from, you know, interviews I've done and the, present, the professional presentation, the rapport I had with my subject, and that led to a job on their, on their film set. So it's, it's, not, it's not far-fetched at all because I'm living proof of it. And that's what, yeah, that's no why kidding. it's helped constantly is that, you know, networking and mm. just talking to people and, you know, talking to people and, you know, asking them exactly what is it you want. Just be up front. You know, what's the worst the person's going to say is no. And, you know, if right. they say no, what have you really lost? Because you're back to where you started in the first place. So, but if they say yes, well, then you're moving ahead, basically. So, the WonderCon thing was basically the whole, I would say, the whole catalyst that ignited the career. So, and oh, I always cool. will, I will, yeah, I always will thank Joe. In fact, every year I make, make it a habit to always cover his um, free comic book day. You know, I always make it a habit of being his photographer for that day. It's not because it's so much the money, because because out of loyalty they took a chance with me, and I will always be there for him too. And I make sure I do it every year, no matter what. Even if I'm a film set, I'll say, hey, I have to go. I have to do this. I have to do this important gig. So that's you know that's, that's the way so I am. Cool. I'm ex- I'm extremely loyal to you know friends and you know business colleagues. That's that's something that's lacking in this business a lot of times, which. It's really the worst thing about it, I think. <laughs> yeah, loyalty so is lacking in, in, in a lot of businesses, my friend. It's not just... Yeah, yeah. I, it is, yeah. And then people have to realize that, you know, that's that's funny because the corporate structure also, it always, it always intrigues and infuriates me that a corporate structure will, you know, sometimes abuse their employees and that's right. the wrong way to go about it because if you abuse your employees, your employees are going to be looking for tricks on things to you know to sabotage the company but if you treat them like gold they're going to work that much harder for you it's logical and it's human nature and i don't i've never understood why you would want to abuse people that work under you that are you know obviously no, helping not, you. not always you can sometimes treat people like gold and they'll still try to step all over you yeah <laughs> yeah it's you know it's i'm living very... proof it's happened to me right on this network yeah so. yeah that's very sad yeah, that's interesting because I, at the same time when I was doing, when I got into the whole um, WonderCon thing, I started, um, I pitched, uh, I started learning the art of the pitch, right, which is basically, as we all know, is basically um, trying to get a job with a particular, you know, film company or a film or, you know, whatever. So it's the art of the pitch, right. basically. I started honing that and I practiced it on this radio station in San Jose, California called Hot 97.7. And I pitched myself. I said, hey, you guys, um, have you ever thought of having an official photographer to document your concerts so then you could, you know, you interest your your advertisers when they see these images, they'll get excited. Hey, you know, this is the concert. This is what it looks like. This is the type of crowd we had. This is the potential demographics we could reach. So then I sold them on it. So I was a radio station photographer for about three years in San Jose, California, nice. which, was, which, was, which was excellent. So that got, got me on the dual path of... Um, learning a lot about popular music and pop music in general, not so much film score music, but pop music, because I'm pretty much, I almost consider myself an expert on pop music also. So just because I, I know a lot of the artists and I'm familiar with the, the music and the tip, you know, the type of trends and what have you and 
the style of music that you know typifies each each um, era, whatever you can. What I was part of the I was part of what you, what I call the Florida sound, which was the '90s, the high energy sound, as typified by um, Lanier and all those other groups. You know, <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say like Two Life Crew and Poison. Clan. Yeah, Two Life. <laughs> yeah, Two Life Crew also because I photographed Two Life Crew several times. So. Oh, and, you know, and that, it, that, yeah, interesting guys. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And there's, you know, I, actually, one one person you photographed, which we talked about a while back, uh, which blew my mind that you knew was Tupac. Yes, Tupac's and record. Tupac, you, you photographed Pac, right? Yeah, Tupac was a great, was a genuinely great guy, and he just presented this image that, um, unfortunately, I think he became a victim of his own image and. I heard you guys talk about Kanye earlier, and I think that's what's happening with him. I would say is he's got this image that he created for you know for his fans that he needs to live up to, and then right. all of these people become victim of their own images. You know that and they start believing they start believing this persona they created. You know that's the sad that's the sad thing about the business. A lot of times is to get ahead, you have to create you know this image, this alter ego basically, and that's not really who you are. That's what Tupac did, and that was far from who he really was. You now, know, how'd you I think meet Tupac? What... How'd you meet Pac? I'm, I've, <laughs> I met him at one of the the Pimps and Players ball I photographed, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be a place to meet Tupac. Yeah, that would that would make sense. Oh, really? Easy E was there also. Easy Easy E was there, and um, Too Short was there, and this was the early wow. days of the Pimps. Pimps and Players Ball when it was in Oakland, it was really hardcore. I mean, this is uh, right now the Pimps and Players Ball, even though it's still a little hardcore, it's a little more glamorous and what have you. I mean, they have the the red carpet at the Pimps and Players Ball. That's glamour. <laughs> but there was no red carpet back then. It was just a free for all. It was just, it was pretty wild. I mean, it's it was. I had a lot of fun times. A lot of the images are hilarious. I mean, from those early days are are classics. I mean, it's just. I'm, there's an interesting um, John Singleton, the director of um, you know Boys in the Hood. I believe he was there also, and yeah, there's a lot of early figures, and you know the rap era were in a lot of these parties. These parties that would just randomly show up, and it was always entertaining. So I would, you know, I was all I was always constantly talking to people, and it's pretty interesting how many different worlds I'm able to cross here because I'm you know popular in the, the pimps and players world and um and I you know I could easily walk into the science fiction fantasy world, you know, and then I could I could walk into the classical film score world and it's pretty fascinating. I enjoy all the worlds I'm able to walk through, you know. <laughs> and it's the it's a byproduct and a fringe benefit of actually photographing and talking to a lot of the people. So it's it's a great thing and really getting to know them too and you know, after hours of the parties and everything else and you know, beyond the red carpet when they let their guard down at the after our parties, it's really, really fun. So <laughs> now, how many of these pimps and plays actually live up to the reputation when they're in person? There's a lot of them do. I mean there's the last one I did I was rather startled actually. There was this kid that was probably about um I would say he couldn't have been more than thirteen years old and I was what? you know yeah. <laughs> he was he was an actual pimp, right? And he, this guy was smoking you know, smoking the the blunt and the whole thing. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> yeah, he was he was hilarious, and I couldn't believe it. He had these he had the adult women around him, and the, there's a couple of pictures I have of him. You know, with a couple of 
couple of women. I, I might have to put that up, but I was kind of hesitant to do it because he's, you know, underage. So that the whole thing with the, you know, minors and everything else, you know, putting their images up. So I, I thought again. Yeah, I mean, so. he, he seriously, he's underage. I mean, this kid's seriously like fifteen, sixteen. Yeah, he was. Like... He couldn't have been more than thirteen when I when I shot him first. Wow. Yeah, it was it was amazing, and he was just there, and it was just, this the last. This was the last party in L.A. that I went to, and it was just. Each party when you go to the atmosphere is so thick with you know, <laughs> yeah. with, the, with the demon weed. <laughs> and there's nothing demon about it, my friend. It's, it's a lovely aroma, as, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, well, you'd be you'd be completely uh, you'd be completely at ease there and totally in your element. It doesn't bother me. I could care less. But it's pretty funny because every time I'm there shooting this thing, I was have to put my flash at a at an odd angle because it's it's so thick that it's like going through uh it's going through a, you know a smog field or something. It's like a labyrinth of smoke. A fog, a fog bank, and the LAPD cracked me up because they're all circling the party. But they're they obviously never take any action, but they're constantly circling the party. That the entire night they're just watching us. It's, it's well, I mean, they can't they can't arrest everybody in there. I mean, that that'd be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be it would be pretty crazy. I never thought they would arrest. They just checking it out probably. And I, actually, a couple of times, the you know the LAPD come in there and just. Say hi, and I talk to him, and you know everything else. And everybody's everybody's cool, but it. it's pretty funny. You know, it's very entertaining. Snoop Dogg is always a fixture at these things, and yeah, he's always at these things, and he's funny. That dude is so skinny; it's amazing. Yeah, he's he's tall and skinny as well. Yeah, he actually looks like the dog in the video um, from back in the day. Uh, What's my name? Remember the dog with the Morrison yeah? Oh yeah, face? yeah. You're right. He, he does. like a Doverman. He literally, really does look like a Doverman in person. It's crazy. He's got such a huge entourage. <laughs> it's really <laughs> every time this guy kind of walks the red carpet, the whole place, there any kind of decorum, any kind of you know order that's in the red carpet, forget it. The it just goes gets chaotic. You know, the photographers go crazy and. Everybody's breaking the barrier and it's out of control. It's funny. Now, now is it Snoop Dogg still, or is it now officially Snoop Lion? You know, he's Snoop Dogg and Snoop Lion. You know, I think he's. I think he goes back and forth. Oh man, that's not cool. Yeah, I think he does. He personalities. Does, he does the Snoop Lion thing when he's doing more reggae-based, you know, rap, and then Snoop Dogg is a normal rap. So. <laughs> Yeah, the reggae stuff is actually kind of cool. I've, I've heard a couple of the tracks that he's put out there. It's not yeah, that bad. It's not no, he's not bad. He's very he's a very talented guy. So I definitely I is. To, yeah, my hats off to the guy. So I, I'm I'm a big fan of myself. Hello, Cool J. I've always liked his his music. I was like I like that rapper quite a bit. I always find I always find his raps to be entertaining and quite in, intellectually stimulating. Actually. <laughs> Yeah, Snoop Dogg is a, a D-O-double-G, and he's an OG in the hip-hop game. LL Cool J, <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, I mean, he's he's legendary. He's been around since uh, the mid-'80s. Oh, yeah, LL uh, Cool J. You know? He's a fun guy to photograph, too. He really likes getting his picture taken. He's really a poser, and he really gets into it, too. So He's, he's definitely a poser. Yeah, he's entertaining as hell. He's 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 a great guy. He's fun. And Hollywood, is in, Hollywood if anything, is only... Has only uh, made this guy much better than he actually was before. So, <laughs> yeah, I read his book, and uh, let's just say he's definitely. Uh, it's a good thing he's changed from what yeah. he used to be. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Nobody wants to hear about him at his age jumping off the bus, you know, to go do what he used to do. <laughs> exactly. Not but hey, he looks idea. he looks great for his age. So hey, you got to hats hats off to the guy. <laughs> well, that's kind of what happens in Hollywood, Oscar. I mean, you know, these guys have so much money that you know. They, they, I mean, they have the best doctors, the best everything. So, I mean, of course, they're going to look young. 
for a long That's, time. He, how old is he? Although he's got to be close to fifty now, right? Yeah, I think he's. I think he might be uh, close to it. So, you know, looks you know looks great as Sylvester Stallone. Jesus, that guy is how old is that guy? Seventy eight or some age like that? Or <laughs> <laughs> That's cold blooded, man. Uh, Stallone is not seventy eight. He's he's uh, sixty seven. 67, 67, excuse me, oh, 67, he looks great, come on. Let's but, you know, that, that human growth hormone has gotten him looking like he's 42, so, I mean, the guy, <laughs> yeah, he's, I don't know what he what he's doing, but uh, that all that stuff he injects, man, it's it's wonders, let me tell you, it's, it's a beautiful thing what he does. Uh, and we get to continue to watch great movies like Expendables 2 and now 3 and maybe 4 or 5, I don't know how many they're going to do. Uh, but, you know, I love Sly, I'm a big Sylvester Stallone fan. Have you yeah, ever, I am, I am too, I, mean, I I have not yet photographed him, and that's he's on my uh, he's on my have list. You, of have you have you met Stallone though? I have never met him yet. So oh I'm, man, I I'm close to probably me arranging something with him. So I'll, I'll let you know. So it's gonna it's gonna happen probably 2014. I have no doubt about it. So that is so that, cool. Yeah, I really love to just you know talk to the guy, and I know I'm gonna be working with Frank pretty soon. So that's good. That's exciting. So. Yes, the, actually, Sylvester's literally one of my favorite action stars of yeah. all times. But one of my favorite movies ever, and Oscar, I mean, this is one of the first movies that I saw as a kid, uh, was Rambo. In oh, theaters. yeah. Uh, dude, what a phenomenal movie. I mean, oh, the, t- I mean, I don't care how old you get, that movie is one of those movies you can still pop in and watch it, not a problem. And you can sit right through it without any issues. It's like the, the perfect action movie. In fact, I think, I mean, I'm probably wrong, but, you know, I think that a lot of the action movies that came out after Rambo really used Rambo as almost like a, a source uh, for how the action movies should be made from that point on. You know what I mean? Like, it really inspired a lot of uh, action movies that came out after that. Uh, it it really, like, changed the genre a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And Sylvester Stallone is a, you know, a guy you've got to admire. This is the guy that really made it, made everything, you know, his way. And the way yeah. he sold, the way he stuck to his guns and hung on to Rocky is an amazing story. And that guy is, he is so inspirational. Whatever people may think of him, and you know, I'm surprised when some people speak badly about the guy because the guy is literally just, you know, worked his ass off to be where he is. And that's he's an he's a figure to be admired. He's a you know he's a ge- he's a ge- true gentleman myself. I use him. I use his path as you know things that inspire me along my own path. So what an incredible comeback he's had too cinematically in the last uh, five years or even eight years. I mean for a while there, all through the you know mid nineties to I guess the early two thousands. I mean it was like lights out. I mean Sylvester Stallone nobody even wanted to see his movies, uh, but after Rocky six, everybody like fell in love with Stallone again. Oh yeah, and that last Rambo movie actually, which I thought was a great oh, film, phenomenal movie. Yeah, like, yeah, surprisingly, surprisingly bloody. I was actually surprised. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love the but, uh, whole throat ripping out scene. That always yeah, yeah. beautiful, man. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's another thing that bothers me actually about a lot of recent films. Is as you could call me a gore fanatic or whatever you want to call me, and that's fine. You know, I, I'll, I'll take the title, but. I don't like CG, you know, computer graphic blood, and that bothers me. I, you know, it doesn't have the, doesn't have the I'm same distinct look. You know, it, yeah. you know, why not have the blood bag and everything else and the squibs and do the explosives like that? You know, why the CG blood? It looks so obvious. I mean, it doesn't have the same impact of seeing, you know, a flesh hit and you know, on an actual on an actual actor. I mean, it's just it's just sad and pathetic. That's why. 
one of the reasons why I like The Walking Dead so much because there's actual physical effects there. So right, practical. Yeah. You know, that's one of my main issues that I have with the movie I Am Legend with Will Smith. Oh, uh, that was a it, terrible movie. Sorry, <laughs> terrible movie. <laughs> Uh, because of the, but but the the main reason that made, that, that movie was so bad was because of the way the creatures looked. It was fake. You know, there was nothing real. Oh yeah, it was completely. I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean, it's it's sad. And I like Will Smith. I really, I really enjoy the actor. He's a brilliant actor. I mean, people don't think otherwise. See Six Degrees of Separation. You know, that's a brilliant, beautiful film. I mean, he's an he's an incredible presence, but. I realize that he, you know, he likes paying the bills and everything else, and more power to him. But that was a terrible, pathetic film. That's. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever photographed Will Smith? I have not. I photographed his wife, though, Jada. Oh, Jada Pinkett, nice. Yeah, very sweet. Yeah, very, very. She, of woman. course, uh, for a long time was uh, buddy buddy with Tupac. Yes, Bring it right, <laughs> right back to Tupac. It's always it goes, always and- goes back to Pac here. Exactly, <laughs> and he was, and um, Will Smith actually was a decent rapper too. I enjoyed his, enjoyed a lot of his humorous raps, and he was almost like a, like a safe rapper. That's the way you could almost right. term him. Max, people don't yeah, feel threatened. That that and he never cursed. I remember Eminem even had a rhyme about that. That Will Smith doesn't have to cuss in his raps to sell records, but I do. So f him and f you. Do you remember that rhyme? It's true. Yeah. I mean, Will Smith. Spent his whole rap career without one curse word in his music. Amazing. Yeah, exactly. It's it amazing was. how he was able to do that. And that shows there is a mar there is a market for that. And that's fine. You know, I like I said, I have no problem with any kind of you know, off color language or anything else. And I don't know if you know on my notice on my show, I never rarely ever I rarely ever swear or use any any um flowery language like that because you know whenever i swear whenever i use you know such dialogue i i use it because i believe it has the shock so people people swear too much and it loses this whole shock value when people hear me swear they're shocked which is the way i meant it to be so people know oh this guy's serious so (laughs) you don't want to see oscar when he's serious and he's swearing no isn't it there's a whole there's a whole whole different side of me that (laughs) That I that I attribute to props my when I was raised in Oakland. That's the whole different side of me that that is not ready for uh, Hollywood or <laughs> or the industry whatsoever. But it it is it is good to have it though because it's 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 good to be aggressive in business um, negotiation. I really attribute that to my being raised in Oakland, where you know I don't flinch very easily. So that's a good thing. Now, have you ever lost it on somebody like Christian Bale style, like on a set or? Anything like just no, uh, that I no, no, that I control uh, whatsoever. No matter how silly, there's some silly things I've seen on different sets, and I, you know, I really don't let it get to me, and I just, you know, walk away, and that's about it. <laughs> you know, now, now, now on the red carpet, now on the red carpet, that's a different issue. I let my anger fly there. Obviously. <laughs> oh, no kidding! The red carpet. <laughs> yeah, the red carpet is a whole. It's a soap opera on the red carpet. You will not believe what goes on there among the photographers and and the videographers. It's it's a joke. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's a com- it's a competition between you guys, right? All the photographers. It's a competition to get it's, the best shot, or it, it's a competition. But it became it becomes like a almost like a pissing competition too, because um, I have I have three different instances where it was. I almost got in a fist fight with another photographer where I was going down that route, and I was hoping it would actually. I was looking forward to it. <laughs> there, so you do have a, f- a dark passenger inside of you. Oh, yeah, I'm very dark. 
<laughs> He's riding with me all the time. <laughs> you, you, you have There's... a dark passenger, my friend. Yes, I do. <laughs> There's definitely some There's skeletons in Oscar's closet. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. There's a lot of them. <laughs> there was this incident at the Saturn Awards, right? The Saturn Awards, for people who don't know, is this little-known award show that's based out of L.A. that specializes in science fiction, horror, and fantasy. Um, uh, basically, films and spoken word and plays. But it's a great award show, and the Saturn Awards actually is quite, quite interesting. It's it's this um, figure holding on the you know platter, the planet Saturn. So it's pretty. It's right. a pretty cool looking award. So um, there's this one older photographer there. I arrived. You know, I arrived before him, and usually I arrive these things early because I like scoping the place out. I like wandering around. You know, whether it's the Playboy Mansion or this this place. You know, it's always fun to arrive early and you can't know, blame you on be that the last one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> be the only one there, and you know. Figuring out the you know the secret passages and the trap doors and what have you and that kind of thing, but that's another story, of course. <laughs> and so I get to this place, I set up, I find the best place because sometimes some red carpets actually have name tags on the bottom, and if whatever your media outlet you're representing, you're you're staying on that name tag, which is understandable. But if there's no name tag, it's a free for all, so first come first serve, basically. Right. And um, this situation, I was one of the first ones there. I found a nice spot in the corner where. I, where I knew I'd get the you know celebrities, I'd have them there the longest. I would be the last ones the celebrities to see, and so that, in other words, I would get the best shots because they would be seeing me last, and they would be smiling. I'd be goofing off of them because after that, they're you know they're running off somewhere. So that's my that's always one of my strategies most of the time. I don't like being the first out of the gate, but I don't like being the middle, but I like being the last if possible. But that besides the point. Yeah, I I got I get to this nice corner spot and it's you know it's shaded and the sun won't be in anybody's eyes and everything else. It's a, it's a really cool spot. So this older guy comes up and says, "Oh, um, excuse me." I said, "Yes, how you doing?" He said, "Well, you're in my corner." I said, "Okay, well, I did this 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 type of um, venue. We don't have any kind of um, names on the bottom here, so this is not your corner, even though you may think it is. And I've already, I'm already <laughs> here first. He said, well, you don't really know who I am, do you? I said, no, I don't care who you are. I'm already here, so I'm going to keep on, you know, going. I'm going to keep doing this dance. I'll dance all day with, with you about it, but you can stand right next to me and we can shoot together, you know, if you want to do that. So, well, then he, you know, he started, he started getting noticeably irate. He says, oh, God damn it. You know, this is, everybody knows this is Mike Warner. Whenever I'm here, I'm here. And I said, look, you know, I, you know, whoever the hell you think you are, whoever the hell you're supposed to be, I'm not gonna let go of this corner sorry i'm already here so you're just gonna have to live with it and you keep talking under your breath and that's fine to me because you're the only person you're making a fool of is yourself you know so that gets the guy starts you know getting his temper starts getting worse and worse i told him you know this is not that you know this is not the venue to do this nonsense and if you you want to take this outside afterwards you could you could try to beat the hell out of me if you like good luck you know and i'll be more than happy to Take it to that you know that level. If you're like, well, you really think you're, you really think you're a tough guy. I said, you know, I don't need to think about anything. I, I'm the type of guy that draws a line in the sand, and I don't let anybody cross it. So, if you want to cross a line in the sand, we'll take it to that area too. You know, so that's that shut the guy up, shut the guy down, and I got a, a little of a, a bit of a reputation for being this aggressive, <laughs> aggressive, <laughs> semi-violent photographer on the red carpet, which is pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I'm actually the, I'm a pretty nice guy, I think. But it's just that. Is, is that how you got the guy. name? The the is that how you got the wolf? 
<laughs> the compassionate wolf. That's another story. I'll get into that if you like. It's a fun story. <laughs> so this is this is this starts up and the guy's you know grumbling and everything else and he quiets down and you know he starts every once in a while he starts talking to the photographers. Hey, that guy's an asshole. There, I said, you know what? I could completely hear you. If you want to, if you have an issue with me, if you want to keep on, you know, yeah, I'm not. You know, you're not anybody I'm in fear of here. I said, so if you want to, you know, talk, keep talking your crap and, you know, let's go, you know. So the guy, that shut that guy up and then the other photographer was looking at me like I was, you know, a nutcase or something. It was, <laughs> it was, but, you know, in this situation, I would rather have people fear me than, you know, than try to walk all over me because right. that's, a lot of people don't realize that in business and, you know, in the world around us, you know, this is a basically a jungle, you know, you can't let anybody step on you, you know, you got to, you know, it's the old bully thing. You know, the bully hits you in the face. You hit him twice as hard, and you put him down. You know, and that's the end that, of it. And that's the that's the way the bully learns his lesson. That's what pe- people should teach their children. And you know, instead of you know these silly little anti-bullying things and everything else, yeah. teach your child yeah. to fight. You know? exactly. Teach your child to be a- aggressive and violent. You know, what is wrong with you? Don't teach your child <laughs> to be passive. You know, we don't. I don't, need I don't, I don't know so much about. I don't know about so much being aggressive and violent. <laughs> Uh, but you know, for example, when I was a kid, I, look, I was bullied as a kid when I was in elementary school for for a couple of years. Uh-huh. My dad one day saw me with a black eye and he saw me beat up and he was like, uh, "Why? What happened?" You know, and I was like, "Well, this kid beat the shit out of me." Very simple. Yeah. And my dad was exactly. like, "Does this happen periodically?" I was like, "Unfortunately, Dad, yes, it does, because I didn't know how to fight." So he did what any responsible parent would do. He put me into martial arts to learn how to fight, to learn how to defend exactly. myself. And I, I'm a, a full believer that every parent should put their kids in martial arts training uh, from it's the moment they're right. eight to ten years old. I mean, from that age, put them in martial arts. You know, let them learn the, the defense. And it's not just so much that, you know they learn to fight or learn how to kick somebody's ass, uh, but it, there's a whole <laughs> balance you learn with martial arts. You know, it's learning how to avoid the confrontation, to avoid the fight, and to maybe find a different avenue. Be- you know, before you have to take it to that point. But also to be exactly. aware of what's going on with the person who is, you know, being combative towards you, to know that if there is no way to handle it in a peaceful way, to know how to defend yourself and, you know, not try to hurt that person, but defend yourself. And, you know, that's what martial arts is. And it meant a lot to me growing up. It really did. It was a, a, an amazing help, uh, especially, you know, for kids that have ADD and, uh, you know, all these mental uh, illnesses that uh, some kids have now. That martial arts would be great for their focus also. Yeah, I'm a firm believer in that. It's not that I, you know, I want to go around, you know, kicking everybody's ass or anything like that. I, I even think get you do. The- <laughs> you get that dark passenger. <laughs> it's that's not that's not my thing. But my thing is basically never letting anybody try to take advantage of you. That's my thing, and I I firmly preach that to everybody I come across. I said you've got to be able to learn to look someone in the eye. And let them know that you know you have a ground, you have a you have an area here that they can't, you know, trespass into. You know, you right. gotta let your, you gotta let the people know exactly what you're about, and that's in business or in, you know, any situation, you know, anything that works effectively. That's, that's you know, right, most yeah. people and, you know, it's the interviews. I get I get a lot of compliments for my interviews because it, a lot of people that are interviewed to say, yeah, I've never had an interviewer look me in the eye so many times as you have. That's basically, you know, you're paying attention. You're being, you're letting them know that you're there. You're, you're completely aware of their, you know, of who they are and what they are. And that works, you know, like I said, any potential confrontation or you know something as innocent as an interview 
or even right. interview for a job and you know you you will dazzle the person you will impress someone by that simple technique and that's what people seem to lack because people seem to have a problem with eye contact and it amazes me because i you know why why do, why are you backing down why are you looking down look at the person in the eye you know even if the person is you know 200 pounds you know more than you and you know you know you're gonna get your ass kicked the whole point is you're making a stand you know you you know make get a couple of punches in and run away you know at least you made a stand you know <laughs> yeah and i agree and i i think that uh it could be summarized very well by one mr miyagi when he said always look i always look Ex- i Exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Guys, we're going to hit a commercial here in, in, in about a minute. We're live with Oscar Benjamin, the compassionate wolf himself. Uh, if you guys want to get in on the phones and uh, give him a call and ask him anything uh, from what you've heard tonight or any uh, questions you might have about what he does or who he is, please call in. Uh, again, PSN Radio is our Skype, and if you want to look us up uh, or call us, uh, the number is 786-245-8127. Oscar Stick around. We're going to be right back after this quick commercial break. On Inside Jack, no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. Talkstream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man. Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954 That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. See? It's easier than ever to listen to SoFlow. On the air and everywhere. On any computer, any mobile device, iPhone, iTouch, and anywhere you are, just hit SoFlowRadio.com. Tell your friends about South Florida's radio network, SoFlowRadio.com. Elizabeth Taylor, movie legend. We lost her too soon. Gone, but not forgotten. Now, you can own an authentic piece of movie history. Elizabeth Taylor's Ashes. In a small commemorative urn. Remember, remember. I want you to forget me, please. For just $29.95 plus shipping and handling, we'll send you an ounce of real superstar soot. Elizabeth Taylor, movie legend. You can have a piece of her forever. Command performances leave me quite cold. Call today. Hurry. Quantities are limited. 
Discount Comic Book Service, where you can save 40 to 75% off on new comics, collected editions, graphic novels, action figures, statues, and other one-of-a-kind items from DC, Marvel, Image, Dark Horse, Boom Studios, Top Cow, Dynamite, and many, many more. Go to www.dcbservice.com for easy ordering and fast delivery. Or you can visit our brick-and-mortar location at 10202-C Coldwater Road in Fort Wayne, Indiana. DCBS, welcome home. Today's show is brought to you by Vice Grips for the Poor, because the poor eat Vice Grips too. Welcome to the 6 o'clock news with William Shakespeare. Good evening, and here are today's top stories. Chuck Norris is still as cool as he was in the 1980s. Kick out my cock bulge! Yes, Chuck, that is quite the cock bulge. In a related story, LeVar Burton from Reading Rainbow found $10 in a Home Depot parking lot. I found $10. I found $10. Also, I still don't like Steve Martin. And now for the weather with Jesus Christ. Oh, The gates of heaven will open and God's wrath will rain down upon the souls of the wicked. Or it'll be sunny, reaching a high of 75 in the mid-afternoon. This just in, Chuck Norris is still cool. Check out my muff face! Also, I still don't like Steve Martin. My name is William Shakespeare, and thank you for watching. Check, check, check it. This is for all those super scientifical uh, geniuses turned underground thug who think hip-hop is dead but can't get their fucking style out of 94. Point to us like we're not hip-hop. 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 I'm ready. Right. I said right. I'm ready. I've got like... No, we didn't. I've got some shit I gotta get off my chest, man. I've been sitting here being quiet for a long time, man. Yeah. We are a lot of motherfuckers been talking a lot of shit. Wrong man, don't know shit. Wrong time. Far be it for me, but I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to break shit down real fucking simple for you. Who else is gonna do it, man? Come on. I brought that genuine shit in '96 before you knew the underground or independent exists. I watched the whole scene straight jump on a dick after stepping a KCR lit and flexing my shit. Talk, no gimmick, just rounds of raw dog Dirty, dusty, intelligent wit And word murdering A hardcore poetic that's formed without burglary Potent and shook the shit out of rappers Who just learned to me Every time I prescribe a new pill, revolution Quickly to find a standard for indie rap distribution Arrogant, unafraid, shit develop Right in the train, thinking a brain fuck Bad touch example, the suit became boss And everybody sprung, wondering where I came from Screaming out independent as fuck with an insane tongue Winning indelible squad of design monsters Innovating styles that made biters look like imposters So we scripted an album and signed a rockers Selling a hundred thousand without a radio chart hit Preposterous sonics taking the world hostage Classic hip-hop bombings, journey with style progress Now I come from the 80s juvenile Brooklyn Cats Give me that like subway pass, kid, good looking Now someone else taking a ride with what's mine So I had to develop styles with a death device <laughs> And we are I back live out inside the Jackals, and we're having a good time here on the uh, commercial break. I'm live with Oscar Benjamin, the compassionate wolf himself. Again, if you guys want to call in, 786-245-8127. You can check 
us out on Skype, PSN Radio, or you can also look up, I guess, Soup Media Network will also be, uh, you know, another way to look us up on Skype. Uh, if you guys are uh, listening in through uh, Shotcast or on TalkStream Live, you can follow the links through PSN-Radio.com. Uh, check out the chat room. A whole new layout on the website, too. There's like It's changing all the time, and it's getting better and better. Hopefully the fans that are listening in like the uh, layout and like the website. Uh, uh, back again nice with Oscar thing. Benjamin. Oscar, what do you think of the website? You like what we got going on here on PSN oh, Radio? I, yeah, I, I love the website. It's really a great design. So I'm, I'm actually in the process of redesigning my own website right now. It's a, I forgot what a you know, real pain in the ass it is to, redes- to design websites. God, it's a nightmare. But you know, I have to do it because my website was you know, screwed up by some talented hacker out there. <laughs> so, but uh, it'll Those be back damn up. Damn hackers. So that's right. <laughs> Spe- speaking of websites, you know, you have a, a show page uh, with archives on there from like 1965, but nothing recent in the last uh, decade. <laughs> yeah, Inquiring minds, I'm sure, want to know uh, when are we going to get some updates on the archives section on Oscar Benjamin's well, you know uh, Compassion and Wolf show is lock page. My- Lock myself up for a weekend or something and just go for it. <laughs> I know it's the one thing I really that really lapses when I try to do a show. My shows is the whole archiving part of it, and I do apologize. I'm I'm constantly busy, unfortunately. <laughs> Boy, does it ever! But yeah. you get a good crowd, man. Maybe that's why uh, they always show up on the live shows because uh, you know there's no archives. Either hear it live yeah, or they don't hear it at all. Yeah, exactly. No, I I love my I love my people. I, I have the, some of the best listeners, and a lot of them are my friends. I always like interacting with them, and they always have fun stories to talk about in the in the website there and in the old chat room. So it's a lot of fun. So <laughs> no kidding. Jumping back into the into what we were talking about earlier, uh, you know, you you do cover a lot of different uh, you know genres, as we said earlier. But yes. what's your favorite genre? Like the sci-fi. Uh, stuff you know. I know you do a lot of movie uh, conventions and stuff. What's your favorite genre to cover when you, as a photographer? I think if I had to, if I had to pick one altogether, it would have to be definitely the you know science fiction, horror, and fantasy. That I know that's three different genres, but I always like lumping them in together because you know when you cover when you're on the set of a you know science fiction, horror, and fantasy movie, there's always this element of you know this imagination, this surprise, and you know, sometimes there'll be a creature, you know, a guy in a creature outfit, or, you know, or sometimes you'll see a great, great gore effect, you know. So those type of things you won't catch in, you know, when you photograph a regular drama. So that's what I definitely would just stick right in there. It's just the best thing to see human imagination at work. I mean, it's so fantastic. I mean, it's so much fun, too. <laughs> You're into this whole uh, new phenomenon known as cosplay? I've actually have a column on it in my, you know, as in my writer's column. I have, I have the cosplay. You know, I analyze it. I I love cosplay actually because it shows, shows the true creativity of a lot of fans out there. A lot of my fellow fans, and and especially when they really start acting the role of the character. Yes, you know, it's yeah. it's 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 very entertaining and. And don't get, um, don't be swayed by that, you know, that silly show on the Sci-Fi Network. That's just an exaggeration of cosplayers and, you know, cosplayers. A lot of those cosplayers on that show are acting like, you know, spoiled brats, and they're really not like that. So it's just that those so-called reality shows are not real whatsoever. They're just augmented reality. Are you, and are you meaning to tell me that there's something on TV <laughs> that is not real, Oscar? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> 
Are we saying that television is lying to the masses? (laughs) Sadly enough, I have to break that news to everybody tonight. What's next? Santa Claus is not real? (laughs) Exactly. Santa Claus is real. I hang out with him every December 26th. You know, he gets... (laughs) He gets burned out, so I invite him over, and we have a lot of good times. <laughs> a lot of liquor and cookies. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's cool. You know, I didn't really, like, understand cosplay as much, because, you know, I'm a big comic book nerd. I'm a big sci-fi nerd. I love all that stuff. Yes. I love the genres. I hadn't gone to any conventions, per se, because uh, I'm kind of always busy. I do a lot of, you know, other stuff, and I work a lot. So it's hard for me to get out to the conventions. But I went a couple years ago to uh, to Wizard World here in Miami. I uh, also attended MegaCon in Orlando. And uh, I saw a lot of the cosplay, uh, you know, the people dressed up as the characters and stuff. And it really does come off as something, you know, just it's, it's a fun pastime for a lot of these people more than anything else. Yeah. But it, it's really cool that how much work some of these people go go into this. Uh, for example, there was a guy in this whole outfit. It was the, the most brilliant thing I've seen, Oscar. He was dressed as the time machine from Orson Welles' time machine. You know, the, like, oh, the nice. movie. Th- like, he literally was dressed as the character, and he was riding around in a little time machine, just like in the, in the wow. book, in the movie. Uh, a brilliant, I mean, a brilliant, brilliant outfit. Um, there's probably pictures of that online somewhere. But, I mean, it's stuff like that. It really makes you, you know, kind of, uh, I guess... Um, appreciate cosplay because of, and, you know, it, it takes a lot of effort to do something like that. It really does. Oh, definitely. And from a photography standpoint, it also gives me an opportunity if I want to if I want to take a portable studio with me, actually to get portrait-style shots of, you know, superheroes, basically, or people, people passing as superheroes, and I could take some really beautiful shots of, you know, whether men or women, you know, dressed as, you know, different various superheroes or horror figures or whatever and you know then afterwards lighten up by getting in a gag shot because I'm I'm notoriously known for my you know famous gag shots where I get in afterwards after a photo shoot I have to I have to pose of the person I was you know was shooting with or whether that's celebrity or cosplayer or whomever I was trying to do that so <laughs> yeah I just I did that this a... past weekend in fact <laughs> oh did you yeah I was at there's this there's this um, small convention in the Bay Area and there's and a you know very talented cosplayer, and he made a robot recreation from Lost in Space. So naturally enough, I you know took some shots of him, and then of right, course, yeah, I, I saw those pictures. Yeah, was goofing up with him later on. <laughs> <laughs> those are cool pictures. So that's I I just sent yeah, you a link by the way of uh, I just sent you a link of the time machine guys, so you can check it out on YouTube later. Oh, okay, I'll check it out definitely. That's but fascinating. The, oh. yeah, cosplayers, the the whole cosplay phenomenon, if really want to examine it, is basically it was called masquerade before. It, cosplay was a term that was created by Japan called kozupure, basically, and that's where it came from. So that's basically it's an outlandish, elaborate masquerade. That's what cosplay really is. It's just people people dressing up and you know living out their fantasies, and it's it's harmless and it's a lot of fun. So people. People have a hang up or an issue with them, you know. I never quite understand that. So it's just, you know, it's just a hobby. And anyway, if you really want to look at it, anybody who's who enjoys, you know, NFL or you know, basketball, and they go around dressing up, they're cosplayers also. So <laughs> that's cosplay. I mean, if if you go to an Oakland, you know, Oakland and Oakland Raiders show and you go into the dark pit, you're you're among cosplayers there. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know what? It's funny. What it kind of shocked me because I wasn't a, a big fan of the character back then. But one thing that I, I saw a lot of in uh, in Orlando and MegaCon uh, was a lot of Doctor Who cosplay. Uh, people dressed yes. up as Doctor Who. Now, Doctor Who, of course, is going to celebrate the 50th anniversary uh, coming up here in, in this next week. Um, are you excited about that? I mean, are you a Doctor Who fan? Oh yeah, I'm a big Doctor Who fan. I remember, I remember I had this ritual that I watched. I started watching Doctor Who when Tom Baker was Doctor Who, right? Mm. Way back in the mid '70s, I believe. And I used to have this ritual when I. When I lived in Oakland, you know, my family was there in Oakland, and I used to watch Doctor Who, and I was, I would always slice a watermelon open, and I was have, I was watch Doctor Who eating watermelons. I, what the connection was, I don't know, but it just happened to go really well together. Watermelons and Doctor Who, I highly recommend. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's that's odd, too, but yeah, <laughs> that's an odd one. I never expected to hear watermelons and Doctor Who. Yeah, it's great. I love watermelons also. <laughs> I'm not hating on watermelons. I'm a big fan. And I'm a big Doctor Who fan. So you know what? Maybe. I, I can see it now. I'm a big fan of both. It was a, Why not? It was a big thrill. It was a big thrill definitely for me to, you know, to shoot, you know, shoot the latest Doctor Who at the last Comic-Con or the Comic-Con before that also. It's, because we're in this private room, so I was having him pose for me and everything else. It was great. I mean, he's a, he's a really shy guy, too. I mean, I, Matt I mean, Smith is uh, the doctor you got to shoot, right? Matt Smith. Matt Smith, yeah. I wanted to shoot David Tennant, but he, you know, fortunately left the role by then. And I and there was always a conflict whenever the you know David Tennant came over, and I was always doing something else. But you know, I'm looking forward to seeing him in the in the new episode. So now, who's your favorite but, doctor of all the doctors? David Tennant. David Tennant for sure, no doubt. Ah, good choice. Hands, hands down, and my favorite companion was also uh, Rose, of course. Did you hear? And this is a rumor that came out, and uh, it, it was actually confirmed. Uh, but did you hear that David Tennant and Matt Smith at one point pitched an idea uh, to uh, Steve Moffat, the uh, person running the show, uh, pitched an idea of them doing an entire series or a season together of them two as the Doctor running around together trying to solve what's going on with you know why they're both able to coexist at the same time and do an entire like 12 part series or you know a whole season worth of episodes uh, of course that was you know Moffat said damn it why didn't you tell me that before I hired Capaldi was, <laughs> exactly that was his reaction like damn it why'd you, why didn't you tell me that a month ago <laughs> yeah exactly I don't know I'm, I'm, the jury is still off for me on Capaldi so as, as anything you know you have to wait and see and see what the actors like it's you know, I try not to jump on the bandwagon when I hear someone's been cast, and you know, all suddenly you're jumping all over them. Hey, goddamn it, why they cast this guy? But you know, you've got to wait and see. You know, I'm not well, hinting yeah, about anything, right? But, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. It's funny you say it because a lot of people, of course, had issues with Matt Smith at first. Like, oh, he's young and he's goofy and he's too comical. Yeah. And now people are like, oh my god, Matt Smith is leaving. I can't believe it's the end of the world. <laughs> exactly. Why is he exactly. leaving? You know, it's just that whole process of change that people have a problem with. Um, I myself, uh, oh, yeah. I'm concerned more of, of Capaldi's age for the role because you know he is as old as the original Doctor, uh, who you know uh, Hartwell, who was the original Doctor, uh, was 55, yes. I think, yeah. or something like that. Uh, he was in his mid 50s, also. So I mean, Capaldi is about the same age. The, the pace of the show has been so fast in the last uh, few series, especially since uh, Tennant took over. Uh, well, even with Eccleston, Eccleston had a really fast pace uh, series compared to the older classic Doctor Who. So I'm just yes. afraid that it's going to slow down because you have an older Doctor now on a show that is you know, geared for more of a past, faster pace 
action or faster pace uh, uh, tone. You know what I mean? And and he's a little bit older. I don't know if he's going to be able to keep up with that pace. But of course, now there's talk that he's only signed on to do one series, which is kind of weird, also. Well, one season, but that's that's yeah. what happened with, of course, that when the doctor resurged and Eccleston was there for one season, also. Which I, I didn't. I didn't. You know, I didn't really mourn his passing or anything. He's, I, he was really lukewarm for me. I, I thought immediately like Tennant, you know, when he came on, I thought, wow, he's a great doctor. And, you know, that's who I was really sad to see go. I was like, oh, man, come on. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's funny because Eccleston know, is the one that made me the fan. Like I, like, I was a doctor. I knew Doctor Who as a kid, but I wasn't really a big fan. And then I yeah. saw Chris Eccleston's uh, take on Doctor Who, and I was like, that's fantastic. It was, you know, it was brilliant. Yes. And, and again, I, as soon as it turned over to uh, David Tennant, I'm also I'm with you. Uh, David Tennant became the Doctor. Like when I think of the Doctor, I think of David Tennant. Even now, as Matt Smith has been great as a Doctor, yeah. I still think of David Tennant. He's also like my Doctor, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I I give Matt Smith kudos, and I have nothing against the guy. I actually really like him, but I, David Tennant to me will always be the Doctor unless something you know occurs in the future and. I hope they don't do the route of the female doctor. That's not. That's my main concern. That's too gimmicky. I think that's just too much of a. Let's make her a female. You know, it wouldn't make any sense. Also, you know, okay, the doctor can change sexes. Also, okay, we know he's yeah, able not? to. <laughs> a female, you know, Sarah, but the Sarah Jane Adventures was kind of like the doc, the female Doctor Who in a way. Exactly. That was entertaining. That was an entertaining show. I mean, it's really sad what happened to the actors, but it was an entertaining show. So. Yeah, rest in peace. To yes, indeed. Jane. Fantastic yeah, series, though. Very... Oh yeah, very fun series, and it was like a almost like a juvenile version of Doctor Who. While you look at a series like Torchwood, which is a very mature version of Doctor Who. Right. Yeah. Another yeah, great I love series, that. by the way. I love Torchwood. God, that's a great yeah. series, and and I, the guy I hope they bring plays. It back. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, it's pretty pretty interesting. I know the actor's all for it. I mean, he's he's dying to play, you know, Captain Jack. Captain you know, he, Jack he, once he, again. He, he was kind of upset. I saw an interview where he was uh, really pissed off that they didn't ask him to be in the 50th anniversary. Uh, so there's there's been talk now that he might actually come back uh, once Capaldi is you know in the role, and he, they might bring Captain Jack back in a couple of, you know episodes here and there. Uh, I loved the, the role of Captain Jack. I thought he was a great character for for the whole Doctor Who. Yeah, I'd, for the I, new incarnation I did too. I thought. I thought it was a bold, bold, and you know, outrageous character that you know really pushed the boundaries of a you know what a genre show should be, and that's what the genre should do should do all the time is push the boundaries and you know always make you pause to think you know at the very least what it you know what is human nature and you know where where are we going among many other questions and I thought Torchwood was that and so much more so that was a great show love that <laughs> it was definitely a lot of wibbly wobbly. Timely whiny stuff on that show. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> and I'll read the show. I, that... I, I will say this though: Matt Smith really has grown on me as the Doctor in the last uh, couple of seasons. I think if he would have stayed on for another two or three seasons, he would become like the image of the Doctor because he was kind of. You could tell in the last uh, you know season and a half, he was really like building up to being like that kind of presence as a doctor. Early on he was still very young, you know, he was still green, yes. learning, you know, his way in the role, but he really has kind of like captured the essence of the character very very well. And I think he would have been become like the ideal image of the doctor and what a doctor should be 
and he has that proper British persona to him also, which is funny. Like the doctor, you know, is not British. He's from Gallifrey. He's an, he's an alien. Exactly. Uh, but I think yes. the fact that the actor <laughs> is British, you know, helps to sell that, that character because it is a British TV show. So, uh, you know, I, I always like the, when they have a British actor and I'm not saying that, uh, that David Tennant is not British. I know he's Scottish, very close about the same thing, yes. really, but you know, yes. Matt Smith is actually from England. You know what I mean? So it's a little bit different than being from Scotland. That's very true. There's, you know, people don't realize that the, you know, Wales and Scotland, Ireland and England, you know, are four distinctly different countries and they have their own different cultures. People always think right. of the United Kingdom as one island and, you know, that's it, you know, but <laughs> they're distinctly different, those countries, especially the Irish. They're very different. <laughs> you know, you know who would have made an interesting doctor? Uh, Russell Brand. What do you think of him as... Oh yeah, that would be a very interesting choice. Yeah, that would be he would be excellent. I think that's a great casting choice. Good for you. Wow, it's, I'd go huh? for that. that I tell like me Russell that's Brand. Not, I know. That's pushing the edge right there for the Doctor. What do you think? Yeah, huh? yeah, definitely. I know he was a bit of a you know jerk to um, you know um, to the singer and all, but he would be a hell of a you know Doctor. <laughs> yeah, I think so. You know, and it was funny because he was a uh, like champ. He was trying to like champion or championing the uh, the role, uh, trying to you know go out there and he promoted himself for the role for the doctor and they didn't give it to him. Obviously, Capaldi got the role, uh, but I think Russell Brand would have been a great choice. Also, I think uh, oh, uh, there's, a, there's been, a lot of great characters, been, but you, you know the doctor only has thirteen regenerations. What are they going to do after Capaldi? Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, it's, they'll probably invent something, an extension or something. He suddenly found a device that extends his regenerations of thirteen more. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> Unlimited regenerations <laughs> for the doctor. Exactly. It, it is a clever. It is a clever story gimmick, though. I mean, it's a wonderful story gimmick where they could keep constantly replace actors and not have to worry about an audience accepting a new face playing the same character. So you got to hand it to those writers. <laughs> how do you think? How do you think the audience is going to take seeing uh, Smith and Tennant on screen together? That's going to be kind of cool. Oh, I think it's essentially be, the same uh, person. You know, they're both the doctor, so it's just, like they're playing the yeah. same person on the, at the same time. I think it's, I think it's going to be a ratings bonanza. I think people are going to flip out. You know, there's going to be parties at night. And I've already talked to people that are going to see, see it in the theaters, and you know, have these Doctor Who mini conventions and theaters, and it's going to be a, it's going to be fun. You know, I, I, I'm thinking about actually seeing it with a community of, you know, fans there and just really get into it and you know, going crazy and. <laughs> yelling and everything else. I I like that kind of activity. I like I like going to the theater. It's it's always fun to see a a movie in a community experience. That's what people forget about the whole theater going as the community yep. feeling and the you know the general where you're you know laughing and crying of you know a lot of strangers you don't you don't know. So it's a fun thing. You know, actually, it's a, it's entertaining. You know. Yeah, you know, it's and funny. I got, to the, I got to the conversation very similar uh, to this with a friend of mine about theater, the theater experience, uh, when we were talking about blockbuster video going out of business. And a, yes. a friend of mine mentioned, he was like, oh, well, you know, movie theaters are probably next. And I said, not really. I mean, that's one experience that you're, you can never replace with digital streaming. Yeah, digital streaming is great. I love being able to get stuff digitally and streaming it to my house and all that stuff. But, you know, you can watch a movie at home, but it's not the same experience as, as going to a theater and watching it with, you know, 100 other individuals in the theater there with you just all laughing at a scene or enjoying a scene. I mean, that whole experience, you know, when I saw Star Wars, uh, even though it was The Phantom Menace, 
you know, not the best yeah. in the Star Wars series. <laughs> but in 99, I, you know, that experience, going to the theater, spending that time in line, buying the ticket, we actually camped overnight to get tickets. Uh, then we, you know, we, we did another little camping thing, you know, to be the first in line to get really good seats. And, uh, you know, that whole experience is, you know, spending that time with friends and, and getting to meet all these other strangers that we didn't know, but they're all Star Wars fanatics. Exactly. Uh, you know, that, ex- that experience is something that I'll never forget. You know, that's why I think the cinematic experience would never die out. Uh, that's one thing that I think will stick around forever, as long as there's movies to be made. Oh, yeah, I agree, exactly. And that that almost um, is similar to the whole convention experience, where you go to a convention right. and you see a lot of your fellow people, like-minded people, and you're all hanging out, seeing, you know, checking out a panel or, you know, just cosplaying or just generally going through a dealer's room and you're, you know, you're all bumping into people you don't know, then you, sometimes you make friendships, sometimes you don't, but the whole point is this wonderful atmosphere and that's one of the things that people don't understand about conventions. They say, oh, these people are a bunch of freaks and geeks and losers and everything else. And quite the opposite, actually. These are people that I believe represent the best that humanity has to offer because there's people mingling among each other and there's hardly ever a violent incident at a convention, I mean, there's one or two things I could, you know, bring to mind, like the famous Comic Con incident with the pencil and everything else. But, you know, beyond that, I really can't think of any too much more. So that's these are very, very good people. I'm proud of my fellow fans. They're wonderful, wonderful people. As, as long as you keep the Star Trek and the Star Wars fans apart, it, it, it's always peace. <laughs> <laughs> Once those two groups get together, Oscar, you and I both know that it could it could get dangerous. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's nothing worse than a couple of Trek nerds and a couple of Star Wars nerds in the same room together. It could get very dangerous, uh, and for me, it could get even more dangerous because I'm part of both. I love both Star Wars uh, and Star Trek. So just yeah. imagine my plight for a second. <laughs> I love I love them both though I'm heavy more heavily favoring Star Trek than anything else because I'm I'm more of a heavy science fiction fan than what I call science fantasy which is of course Star Wars so I I favor more hard science fiction more pure science fiction than you know than hearing gunshots and you know in space and hearing noises in space and you know that kind of thing and too many too many laws of physics being bent in those films <laughs> hey actually you know what i'll tell you this much uh, this is going to blow your mind but i had this conversation with somebody uh-huh. about the possibilities of of star wars being more than just a movie or star trek being more than just a movie and i said and this made uh-huh. perfect sense to me at the time maybe it's cuz i was a little stoned i don't know but it made sense at the time <laughs> i said we live in an infinite universe right it, Infinite yes. amount of planets, infinite amount of galaxies, infinite amount of possibilities, correct? So yes. this tells me that in an infinite amount of possibilities, there is somewhere out there where whatever your imagination thinks an alien looks like or whatever world we create in our minds and put into the cinema, somewhere out there that scenario really is happening or something very close to that really is happening. So by that definition, by that law of gravity, guess what? Jedis are real, Sith Lords are real, rock on Star Wars is the shit. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I sincerely hope you're right, because I, I really want that also. I would love to visit all these multiverses and see different versions of myself and, you know, even impersonate myself in these different multiverses and seeing what kind of life I'm leading over here or, you know, or suddenly maybe I'm a, I'm a pimp in this life or, you know, whatever the case is, you know, or I'm a baseball player <laughs> in that life. <laughs> in another life, you're the pimp getting photographed, the pimps and hustlers ball. Exactly. <laughs> And it would be fascinating. And these type of things that, you know, 
fire your imagination. I just want that to be true. You know, I wanted to, I want to be there. You know, I want to be there, live long enough to see all this come true. You know, see this happen. You know, I I really wish I was living in a more advanced, you know, technological age where space travel was as you know regular as driving your car. You know, to the right to the latest theater or whatever. I really want that world, and you know, we live in a primitive world, unfortunately, and just. If I really think about it, it'll depress me, but, you know, that's why I try not to think about it too much. <laughs> you know, it's funny. On my show here, I, I have a lot of interviews with people in the world of ufology. It's kind of like one of the main themes of the show. And, you know, yeah. I've said this to, like, famous people within ufology, from Steve Bassett, who's going to be on in December, uh, to Travis Walton, you know, other people within ufology who've, uh, you know, and actual abductees like Travis Walton who've been abducted by aliens, who've had experiences. And I, my thing always is, is, why not me? Like, I want to be abducted. I want to be the one taking in a ride through the cosmos. I want to see space. Like, I would sign up for the mission to Mars thing, even though I know there's no coming back. I'd say, Imagine broadcasting inside the jackal's head live from Mars. That would be epic. Yeah, wow. I would do that. Yeah. All right? That would be my mission in life. Like, I, I have no problems with aliens coming down and abducting me and taking me for a ride, as long as they don't <laughs> anally probe me. That would be, you know, that's the one thing, aliens. No anal probing, and we can get on. We can, you know, we can... Actually, have yeah, a cool want, working yeah. relationship. In fact, <laughs> this is how much out of the way I would go to make this happen. There's no need to zap me with any crazy lasers. You don't have to mind control me to walk towards you or float me through a wall or anything. no. Simply turn on the light, right, and drop uh-huh. a, a, a rope ladder down from the ship. I will climb up and I will go to you. There's no effort <laughs> that you have to make. You don't have to waste any energy or any electrical power to try to you know do any of these crazy technological things to get me up there. Drop me a rope ladder. I will technically li- I will climb up to you, aliens. I'm there for you. <laughs> there you go. I feel the same way. <laughs> like why I not want, me? It, you know what? There was. I remember um, reading. You know, I read a lot of Whitley Strieber's books. I don't know what your opinion of him is, but he's got a fascinating theory that um, the abductees and people who get abducted are ready for the experience, that are actually almost uh, calling out to the aliens, and the people that don't get abducted are the ones that the aliens surmise can't you know, handle the experience. So that's interesting theory. So I wonder if that's, there's any basis and to it that. It goes back to, why not me? Because I have, not only am I ready, I am eagerly open to the experience. I, I do radio shows about the, you know, the subject. I uh-huh. want to see aliens. I want to see UFOs. I've seen two lights in my life, one when I was, you know, both when I was younger, one when I was, I was really young. And one is a teenager, but they could be anything. You know, they could have been, you know, my imagination for for God's sake. Who knows what they could have been, you know? Uh, but I've never seen a physical being from another world, and I'm dying to see that. That, that that'll yes. be the greatest thing I think uh, that mankind will ever achieve as a species well, maybe, to be able to make that contact with another being from another world. You know? Yeah, and it actually insults and offends me if there's any truth to all those, you know, Area 51 conspiracy theories and. You know, anything that goes back to however many decades you want to, you know, Majestic 12 or whatever you want to mention, you know, all the all the different theories, they would, it's very insulting and offending that there's that, you know, first contact has been kept, you know, secret from the public. I mean, that's, God, that's, that would infuriate me to no end if I found out that's a, that's a true story, you know, that first contact is all the nations of the planet are keeping first contact and the experience out of the hands of the general public. I mean, that's outrageously offensive. <laughs> you know, it'd be funnier if we find out that space is like Doctor Who's episode where all you know, there's life everywhere and 
or like in Star Trek where there's life everywhere and there's abundance, uh, an abundance of life out there. And I think that's really how it's like. I think we've been kind of quarantined uh, here on this planet, Oscar. I think, and, and for the main reason is because deep down inside of us, we all have a dark passenger. It's not just you. Yes. Yeah. Mankind, so yeah. It, yeah. Mankind is very warlike, and you know, if, if a much more advanced civilization is keeping an eye on us, and they see how much of of uh, still, I guess, undeveloped and unevolved we are on this planet. Why would they allow us to, you know, become part of the Galactic Empire or the Galactic uh, Federation or Galactic anything? You know, they'll just keep us quarantined here and make it so that our, you know, our cells cannot ever travel to the vast space. And, and you know, there's also talk about when we went to the moon, they were told not to go back because there was already a presence there, you know? I believe that oh, can yes. actually be a reality. And that's why we haven't gone back to the moon. That's why our evolution has kind of been stumped when it comes to the, that process. Because you figured we went to the moon back in you know back then when you know Kennedy was still president uh, in oh, the sixties. Yes. You know we went to the moon then. Seventies uh, we went to the you know we went to the moon. Why are we going back there now? Why haven't we gone to Mars by now with human beings? You know what I mean? That's true. Yeah, it's we went just, to the moon with the, we went to the moon with technology that wasn't even good enough to power a microwave in your kitchen. <laughs> I think what's going on is there's, there's a lot of a lot of individuals that are in you know high government positions that they lack a sense of adventure and they're not inspiring you know the populace to try to embrace the notion of exp- exploration because that's I think that's the real cause. I mean whether aliens warn you know us to never come back to the moon or not is another question of course and that may be true or they knock down different several Martian probes you know or whatever the stories go around you know it's just fascinating but. There's also a lack of adventure in, you know, current, you know, government, government, you know, the current government, you know, they're not, they're not adventurous enough. And that's, that's the main issue, you know, I thought any digs or, you know, the particular president or anything else, one of his, one of his issues is he lacks imagination and he lacks a sense of adventure. And that's the sad, that's the sad part of the presidency. I think that people don't examine correctly. You know, and it's yeah, sad it's because I, vo- I voted for the guy hoping that he would be the disclosure president. Because he, he seemed uh-huh. like he would be open-minded <laughs> about it, but uh, yeah, not, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Quite the opposite, actually. <laughs> yeah, it seems like President Obama does not want to hear the words aliens unless it's, it's spoken about Mexicans. That's the only aliens he knows. <laughs> it's hilarious. No, it's a, it's a very frightening time because of the whole, you know, the NSA stuff and the IRS stuff, and it's just... It just infuriates me beyond belief that we have a you know a government eavesdropping on us. I remember that that um, Will Smith movie, Enemy of the State, and how yep. you know how how odd that's you know everything in the film now seems to be fact. You know, it's just you know really it's funny crazy. they they said back then when that movie was being made that the technologies used in that film was actual technologies that really does exist. That everything you see in that movie is legit, and and you know what. What we know now, yeah, everything in that movie pretty much is legit. Like the way they uh, they looked in stores with the cameras and they could do the 360 turnaround. I mean, they could really do all that kind of stuff. I mean, that is something that can be done. There's not much that was uh, light about in that movie, if anything, technologically wise. Yeah. You know? I mean, there, there's so many uh, technologies that we're not even aware of. Uh, do you think there's been uh, contact? I mean, do you think the government's hiding it? I mean, I know this is completely off of your um, radar from what you do on, oh, yeah, on your stuff. But... Oh, yeah. Actually, I have a very strong opinion on this. I'm 100% completely, completely convinced that there has been first contact, unfortunately. And I, I say that with much sadness, actually. And if I'm infuriated by the whole idea, actually. But I believe there has been. And it just really breaks my heart to even say something like that. 
you know, just because I, you know, I would love to have that experience and I would love to, you know, be there and see what's going on really actually. And who, who is it that's deciding that I supposedly can't handle for his contact or, you know, seeing this technology or seeing these, you know, these beings from another world. I mean, who decides that for me? And that's infuriating. I'm not a, you know, none of us are children here. And this, this government and people, for, people seem to forget the government are our employees and they have no right to, you know, we're the boss here. They are, they are our employees, so they have no right to, you know, flip it around like they have. And people that feel, people that don't realize that are giving them so much power because of that. Because they haven't educated themselves on the position of a government. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, definitely. For first contact has happened, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think first contact, second contact, third contact. I think we've been uh, well in the negotiations, and uh, we've you know had many uh, treaties with aliens uh, that we're just not telling everybody. But, but you know, a lot of that, Oscar, and, and I'll tell you, it, it's kind of a double-edged sword for me because while I'm upset that it's been kept from the masses, um, mm-hmm. you know, the the real the realism of the phenomenon. Uh, and what really is going on because you know a lot of the stuff that we hear about a lot of the stories that have come out a lot of that stuff yes. is made a lot of it is made up let's be honest like Billy Myers um, yeah. you know the ancient <laughs> aliens a lot of that stuff is just lies and stuff that people have made up uh, but the real cases the, the real first contact the real stuff that has to do with the reality of what really is going on I think it's so different from what we actually are perceiving as what aliens are that's why they've kept it from us. I think there's something more than just them being from another planet. Uh, I think there's more to the phenomenon than just that. And the reality of what it is that it's going on, it's something that we might not yet be completely prepared as a species on this planet to accept. You know what I mean? I think it goes a little bit beyond just, oh, they're from, you know, Zedi Rictili or whatever. They're from another galaxy somewhere. You know, (laughs) I think it's a little bit deeper than that. I think it has to go with the, the fundamentals of who we are on this planet. I think it has a lot to do with how we got to this planet, you know, a, a lot of it, how we got seated on this planet. I think a lot of it is why they're keeping it from us. And, uh, of course, technologically-wise, let's say, for example, we haven't made first contact, but we have back-engineered, you know, crashed aircrafts like the Roswell crash. Uh, yeah. I can understand why the government would keep that a secret, believe it or not. Yeah, I could, I, I understand from that point of view, I understand it completely because especially the whole impact on you know, alien visitation would have on the world's religions, for instance. That's just the big, taking the most obvious one because there's this technologically advanced, you know, society or this this species comes down to earth and, you know, supposedly human beings were created in God's image, right? So then you have a completely different species that, you know, looks completely different from human beings. So that brings us about the whole, you know, what is religion and, you know, how our interpretation of it. And that in itself would, you know, turn the world topsy-turvy, but I think in the end, I think in the end it would be beneficial to the development of our, you know, the human species. You know, of course it would be chaotic initially, but from that chaos, you know, I believe the, you know, phoenix would arise once again and it would be a lot better, we'd be a better species because of it. So, that's my my firm belief, and that's one probably one of the reasons why it's being held back is because the implications it has on the world religions and Perhaps there would be mass suicide on the you know on toll of scale and all sorts of silly things, but well, you know the, you know, the Vatican, the Vatican has come out and said that they accept the possibility of life in other planets. Uh, they think it's part of God's law that there would be life on other planets, and 
this is uh, something that a lot of people are trying to, to become more and more aware of also when it comes to like religious beliefs uh the bible doesn't really state that you know god made us in his image and his likeness the exact wordage is the elohim made us under our image under our likeness uh ours you know who is ours who's they or their image you know yes. there's more than one so the whole terminology is changing over time and i think that's creating that conditioning within the you know, within the religious beliefs that you know maybe god isn't an entity from like you know the afterlife or from heaven but maybe the god that we perceive as god that seated us here uh, might be an extraterrestrial i mean there's of course the ancient alien stuff zachariah sitchin who i don't believe at all but you know there's a lot of mm-hmm. stuff out there who have a lot of stuff that's come forward uh, over the last uh, 50 60 years with which some of it does make sense that you know maybe it's not you know completely 100% off what the religious teachings are telling us uh you know they have part of the story they're just misinterpreting the story you know what i mean exactly because it was you know in the end man is interpreting what he perceives to be a supernatural force so he's writing about it right. so it's, it's based on it's based on his own experience which is if you want to turn back to millennia you know 1000 2000 years or so he would, you know, man understood a lot less than he does now, so he's writing it from his point of view then. So, of course, he's going to interpret it. He's going to create something called the Bible, which may be a misinterpretation of actual events. And that's not a sacrilegious statement, or nor is it anti-religious whatsoever. It's just a, it's just a possibility. And, you know, and if there truly is a God, God gave us the, the ability to question and the ability to evolve so this is a, a this is intentional design on this God's part. So that's not sacrilegious nor anti-religious, and that's something people have to understand. Is when you question something, you're not being sacrilegious, you're not being anti-religious, you're not being you know uh, subversive. You're just you know exercising your ability to you know try to interpret or try to you know look at it from a different point of view, and that's what right. always you know really upsets me about the world's religions is they. Basically, well, hey, you have to do it this way, and you have to do it my way, or we're gonna do whatever. We're gonna saw your head off, or we're gonna burn you at the stake, or whatever. You know, whatever horrific things you know people's interpretation of religion are, and that's just you know that's outrageous to say the least. And that's the part of human nature that needs to definitely change. You know, a worldwide reformation definitely is needed. So there's no doubt about that. So I think the removal <laughs> of most religions from the planet, I think, is the, the best way to go. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, <laughs> an, an extinct level event uh, is not a, a bad thing. I think uh, extinction, can, you know, the, the, there's chaos when there's an extinction. Yeah, but what comes after that usually is a beautiful thing. I think we might need that because there's too many religious wackles on this planet, man. It's just, there's too many religions to be honest. Hey, look, if God is a single entity and has one belief system. Uh, why is there like fifty thousand different religions? <laughs> it's a, it's once again it's you know, man it's, interpreting it's man interpreting you know exactly yeah man interpreting man what interpreting something he's something can't understand. It's also several religions. It's a good excuse to put men you know under control. You know and that's right. the dark side of religion is trying to control population through religion. That's a hor- horrible side effect. Our byproduct of religion, and we can see that you know in the current world today, where different religions are used to make men subservient. It's a horrifying thing. Instead of exploring, you know, exploring the potential of man, religion. A lot of religions actually will actually, you know, try to put a boot on that that creative side of man. That's a that's a horrific thing, and I can't imagine any religion would want that. But yet there it is. So. <laughs> 
Unfortunately, so obviously most it, religious want it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean I, I I understand I'm taking a so called controversial point of view and that's you know, that's a shame it's considered controversial, but you know, if you really logically examine it, you know, it my point of view should not be controversial, but you know, such is the case. <laughs> You know, I, I love talking to really like super religious people, dude. And uh, one of my uh, brother's ex-wife, so I guess my ex sister-in-law, uh, is a super religious lady. She's Christian, you know, Bible thumper type. Um, mm-hmm. And we had a conversation once about aliens because she she listens to the show once in a while. She knows what I, you know the topics that we talk about here on the show. And uh, she confronted me one day because I had just had somebody in ufology and we we're talking about aliens and uh and the guy was an atheist and this and that and. And I'm an atheist to myself, and uh, you know she she brought up the topic. She's like, "How can you not believe in God and this and that?" And I started like really debating her on points on the Bible and how you know since our, things are misinterpreted. And then I asked her very flat out, "I was like, look, let me ask you a question and think about it before you answer, and then give me your answer." And then I, I asked her if God, okay, you believe in God, and she's like, "Yeah, I believe in God." Okay, where's God from? Oh, heaven, you know, he's from somewhere else. Okay. So by the mere definition, God is an extraterrestrial. He doesn't live here on earth Mm -hmm. with us. So by the mere definition of who your God is, he is an extraterrestrial. He's an ET. And Mm -hmm. it blew her mind to the point that all she did was smile and and she was like, my God, that that makes perfect sense. And it it does because if God is not living here physically in this dimension with us, if he's not physically walking around, like, you know, South Park, you can see Jesus walking around, if it's, you know, in the cartoon, <laughs> South Park. If that uh, really yeah. isn't happening, if God isn't here, then he's somewhere else. He's an extraterrestrial, period. That's the end of story. And that blew her mind, and to the point that now she, like, listens to the show even more, she's probably going to give me some shit for talking about it tonight. But, you know, she, she it, it really <laughs> opened her mind, I think, into the whole process of, of the possibility of aliens. Because, you know, people don't think of it like that, but really... You know, that's really what it is. You know, God doesn't inhabit this planet with us. He's not walking around giving us laws. I mean, as much as I like to, you know, tell women that I'm God, I really am not. You know, sorry, ladies. I'm not really God. <laughs> there you go. But, it, you know, it's it's another fascinating thing is that why would we want, you know, I don't know why there's so many of us that want this, you know, this figure constantly dictating to us, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. And I understand there's, you know, we should all be... M- you know, more we should all be as moral as we have to be. You know, because it makes sense. You know, why do you want to go around abusing your fellow man and everything else? But, but then again, why would you? Why would you? Why do you want this protective figure? You know, basically dictating the okay. You have to go down this path. You have to go down that path. This path. This is the path as written for you. Write your own destiny. You know, it, that's that's the best type of creator or God or what do you want to call it, the Great Spirit or whatever wishes that for every one of us and that's the way you have to look at it because i would want as look at god as your father basically your father wants the best for you so right. your father wants you to ultimately make up your own mind make up your own path so you've got that's got to be what you know this god is all about that this is not a god that's trying to hold the planet down but trying to trying to bring out the best in us and that's why that's why these i don't understand these people that you know use it to hey you're what you're doing is sacrilegious or you know, you're a woman, you can't drive a car, you know, you're not supposed to do this and that, or you just thought you're showing too much skin or whatever. Give me a break. I mean, <laughs> those, are, those are expressions of human creativity. And, right. You know, whether you're showing too much skin or not, you're, that's your rights. You know, that's, you know, well, who is offended by that? I mean, ooh, that's just a threat that woman's sh- showing a little bit too much side cleavage. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> 
What do you get of this notion? You know, I read an article earlier about uh, space and time and parallel universes. I don't know if you, if you heard the article I read. What do you think of that article? What do you think of the perception that you know the universe is our perception and is what we make it? Uh, not so much that you know the universe is really there, but it's what we perceive because this is what we're imagining. Almost, that's kind of like where the article was kind of leading to. Uh, that and of course that uh, we inhabit uh, you know a universe with many many parallel universes and and then it tries to go into the whole afterlife thing. But what's your thought on, on that first part of it? You know that that goes into the whole notion of what 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 we really are. What are human beings in that sense? You know, we're if you want to look at it from a scientific point of view, you know, we're we're a chemistry project that's given given life. You know, we're self aware. But are, is this truly real or is this a dream? You know, that's those, those, all those aspects the article, you know, are touching upon there by, you know, the multiverses and the fact that if you die, you know, you go on, you perhaps your essence goes on something else, somewhere else. So this energy, this essence, this soul or whatever they call it, what exactly is it? So these are questions that we, we probably have to analyze before we could even get into that question. So. I mean, but I, I'm o- completely open to the idea and I'm excited by it because, you know, I would hope that after I leave, uh, you know, I'm self-aware enough to know I'm going somewhere else because it would be such a waste that we we live this life for, you know, 80 or so years. And then, you know, when the end comes, that's the end. You know, we're, there's nothing left of us except memories, photographs or stories or whatever. And, but we don't know about ourselves either. We don't know what happened to us. We c- cease to exist. So that's that's an ultimately such a depressing concept that I'm, you know, of course I like the idea of the article much more. (laughs) You know, I kind of have to uh, go with uh, Agent Smith on this one. Human beings are a disease. (laughs) You really think so? I I have a a far far more optimistic viewpoint of human beings. I I actually love my fellow humans. I, I think we're all... I think if you want to put it in a theological point of view, I think we're all fallen angels that one day will re- regain our wings and you know we'll be we will be like <laughs> we will be like, uh, you know gods ourselves and I think it's it's happening and I believe that's the I believe in the best of my fellow man. I think there's so many beautiful things that go around in the world. I mean there's so much there's so much beauty you just have to open up your eyes, you know. There's even you know even in a car design it's amazing. Someone dreamt about it. So I made it a reality. That's an amazing accomplishment. I mean, we could it is, almost yeah. everything we dream about, you know. I mean, the, even music technology, you know, the fact that we're able, we're able to create music, something that's pleasing to our ears and touches us on an emotional level, that speaks really well about us as a society and as a civilization. That, that to me, there's so, many, there's so many good things about human beings. I think it far outweighs the bad things, whether it's war or whatever, you know. Even war, if you really want to look at it, there is a, there is something, there is something optimistic about war in the end, also because in all else fails, unfortunately, war might be the answer. But in that, but in that outcome, most of the time we hope that the morally righteous, you know, the the best side wins. So then that, you know, the that other society be transformed to a higher level. You know, look at Japan, for instance. That, you know, or or Germany. What happened, Nazi Germany? There was something, you know, that war had to be fought, and you know, the result is, you know. Germany, Nazi Germany transformed into Germany today, and Imperial Japan is the wonderful, beautiful Japan we know today. So, I mean, there's, there's, it's a way, it's a view, point of view, if you want to look at it that way. And I'm not, that's I'm not why, saying war is the answer. 
That's why, you know, all we need is one good comet to hit the Earth, wipe out 90% of the population. We can leave 10%. What they rebuild, Oscar, is going to be gorgeous. I'm telling you, paradise on Earth in about 100 million years. But it will be beautiful once it gets rebuilt because it will take about 100 million years to rebuild this planet. But it will be a beautiful new society. It will be a beautiful new civilization. The planet needs it, I think. You know, I think it's a Japan is the perfect example. <laughs> Japan's beautiful after all that mess and after the the, the bombs dropped. Yeah. So after the yes. chaos came beauty. You know. So <laughs> I like to think that the better solution would be that we <laughs> that we would have space travel would be so commonplace that we could, you know, leave the planet. A lot of us can leave the planet and you know colonize other worlds, and then that'll leave that'll relieve some of the burden off our mother planet here. And that's that's why I think the direction of humanity needs to go. I think. And Which, again, goes that, back that, to Agent Smith saying that human beings are a disease. We spread and, and we destroy <laughs> everything. And we're going to do that in space. Uh, and we're going to destroy everything. That's why we're quarantined here to this little planet. Oscar, we're, 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 over, we're, we're out of time here on the show. Uh, it's been an awesome uh, hour and a half here with you. Uh, definitely have to back, have you back on. Of course, you're on live every week here on PSN Radio. Uh, yes, give sir. us the, the, the time slot again so everybody can listen in uh, who's listening to the podcast uh, here now who might not be aware of your show during the week. Uh, and also, you know, give your main website. I know they're still working on it, but anywhere, anywhere that anybody can get a hold of you that you might want them to get a hold of you. I don't know if you would want people to get a hold of you. Oh, yeah, of maybe. course. Oh, always. You're afraid of stalkers right, like uh, most of us? <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> I am. Uh, my show is called The Hour of the Compassionate Wolf, and it's on 1 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And, of course, 10 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, Monday. But Eastern Standard Time would, of course, be Tuesday morning, a very early morning for my East Coast right. friends. And, of course, you could always say hello to me on Facebook. I'm um, just putting my name, Oscar Benjamin, on Facebook.com. And there I'll be uh, currently dancing with the robot from Lost in Space as my profile picture. <laughs> that is a very cool picture, my friend. It really oh, is. Thanks. Yeah, it was, a lot, it was a lot of fun times yesterday. <laughs> And in 2014, you promise your audience that you're going to have archives, right? Sometime in the future. Yes, yes. I, have, I will make that uh, <laughs> one of my promises for 2014. So 2014 awesome. is turning out to be an exciting year. This has been an exciting year so far, but 2014 is going to be so much better for me. I'm so excited by everything. So, <laughs> Well, you know, we always got you back here on PSN Radio. You're, you're a gentleman. One of my favorite people, and I love having you on the show. We've got to have you back on periodically, man. This is yes, sir. Your Thank home you. Too, so. We've only uh, guys, we've always <laughs> go ahead, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 go ahead, go ahead. My, my bad, go I ahead. Said we, I, I would not dare talk over the Oscar, over the wolf. <laughs> go ahead. We've only scratched the tip of the iceberg on who I truly am here, so we we didn't really get into all everything, but there's so much other wild stories. I mean, we have to get into some of my famous um, car wrecks and my near-death incidents and a lot of other things that's entertaining. <laughs> there you go. So we definitely will have you on pretty soon so we can get into more of inside yes, Oscar Benjamin's head. Yes, sir, indeed. Angel, it has been a pleasure, sir, my friend. It's always it's always wonderful talking to you. It's always a pleasure, my friend. And guys, listening and listening right now, please stick around next week. Uh, we're going to have Steve Pierce. Uh, Oscar, you might want to listen to this show also coming up next week. Oh, yeah. Uh, Steve That's Pierce. Fun. This is, this is going to be an, an amazing, amazing show. Uh, he was one of the gentlemen inside the truck uh, that was uh, there that night with Travis Walton, the night he got abducted. Uh, in fact, in the oh, movie, wow. um, the kid who played uh, in the movie E.T., Eddie Thomas, I think is his name? Eddie, yes. Is that his name? Yeah. He That's, played um, his part Thomas. in the movie. Yeah, yeah something Thomas. Oh, cool. Know. 
Yeah, that's the, he played his part in the movie Fire in the Sky. Uh, Steve Pierce is the gentleman's name, and he's going to be on the show with me, and, he, and we're going to talk about uh, his involvement in the whole Travis Walton case, uh, the way he saw it from his point of view. Mind you, remember, he was the youngest guy in the crew, uh, in Travis's yes. crew. So, uh, you know, I'm a true believer of uh, what happened with Travis Walton. I'm a true believer that he was abducted and taken, and these guys had a real legitimate experience. Uh, so I've been really looking forward to this interview for some time, and I had Travis on my show before. He's a gentleman. I, I like I said, I 100% believe him. Uh, and having Steve Pierce on the show is going to be just phenomenal. So uh, check uh, that I out next week. Oh. Oscar, please listen to that show. You're going to love, it, especially since I now I know you're into the subject of uh, ufology. So. Oh, com- completely. I'm completely into it. I, I know so much about it. I've read about it ever since I was in you know high school and junior high school. I've been so into it. I, I know all the stories. It's great. <laughs> There you go, guys. Uh, we're out of time. Uh, actually, we went over about uh, 10 minutes, but it's all good because it's with the wolf, Uh-oh. the compassion oh, wolf. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to his show thank again you, uh, Tuesday morning at 1 a.m. Uh, stay up. You know, for us, night owls, it doesn't matter because I'm there all the time. I, I make a point to be there and listen to the show. It's a great show. Highly endorse it. Thank you. Oscar, you're a gentleman, and uh, again, love having you on, my friend. Thank you very much. Have yourself a wonderful, oh, it is a Monday morning for you. Hey, have yourself a Monday morning. That's fantastic. <laughs> there we go. Good night, everybody. We'll see you next week. I'd like to share a revelation that I've had during my time here. It came to me when I tried to classify your species. I realized that you're not actually mammals. Every mammal on this planet instinctively develops a natural equilibrium with the surrounding environment, but you humans do not. You move to an area and you multiply and multiply until every natural resource is consumed. The only way you can survive is to spread to another area. There is another organism on this planet that follows the same pattern. Do you know what it is? A virus. Human beings are a disease, a cancer of this planet. You are a plague, and we are the cure.